Hello again, listeners, and welcome to the 10th edition of the Just Checking In podcast. This podcast, as always, is brought to you by Vent, a place where everyone, but especially men and boys, can open up about their mental health issues, break down stigmas, and start conversations. I'm your special guest host, Lloyd Taylor, and I'll be manning the ship today and steering you through the conversation. As you may know by now, each pod, we check in with a special guest, and we have a natter about all things mental health as well as anything and everything else they're passionate about. If it helps that person with their mental health, we'll discuss it. And on to my special guest this week, very special guest, because it is the founder and editor-in-chief of Vent himself, Freddie Cocker. And here he is sitting across from me on the sofa over there. How are you doing, Freddie? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, Lloyd. Um, I'm just really um, proud um, that you and pleased and humbled that you uh, you agreed to do this with me. Feels a bit surreal to be sitting on the other side of the sofa, um, even though it's in my own house. So that's a bit jarring, um, but really excited to do it. Um, and just really just pleased that, you know, someone like you who's got a lot of compassion and a lot of empathy and not everyone and anyone can can, can do this. Um, so just really uh, excited to get started and, and to, to unpick everything that, that we agreed to do. So, yeah. So, Fred, one of the first things I wanted to ask was, um, what was your motivations for being on the other side of the sofa and telling a bit more about your own story? Yeah, it's a really good question, Lloyd. Um, there's a couple of reasons, I think, why. Um, the first one is that, you know, being the founder and editor-in-chief of Vent, um, I think it would be hypocritical of me not to do a pod like this, despite the fact that I've already written, you know, seven to eight articles mm. about my own story. Um, but I think it would be hypocritical of me not to be checked in with and not to check in with someone and sort of go into a bit more detail about my own journey. Mm. And secondly, uh, I came to this realisation a couple of weeks ago that I still had, despite being you know, very open and very honest about my journey, I still had quite a lot of stories that were still stigmatised and still I still felt embarrassed about, mm. Mm. Um, that I felt needed to come out and I needed to vent about. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this hopefully is another step on getting closure on those stories mm. um, and making people more aware of and understand me a bit more. Mm. I think sometimes um, people who know me will sort of see a bit more of a holistic um, personality, but I think some people um, may take me at face value sometimes or mm. may have a sort of one dimensional view of me. And mm. I think I saw this as a really good opportunity to sort of break that and maybe change or um, alter the way that, that people perceive me and understand mm. me for a po in a positive light. Mm -hmm, definitely. And would you also say that um, as a listener, some of the takeaways from this pod, by the time we finish this, I'm sure you'll have a better idea. Um, but that the, although there are some kind of deeply stressing moments in what we're going to talk about, that um, they've kind of brought you to this moment, to where you are now, and that there are a lot of positives lessons that you can take from as a listener hearing something like this yeah definitely um i definitely feel like you know as you said that my story has a lot of very very dark moments but i think it has a lot of very uplifting moments and mm -hmm. positive ones and hopefully some real takeaways that you know people of 
of all ages, whatever whatever part of their journey they're on can take away from this, um, either using their own life or for their own purpose, or they can use to help other people. And if there's a way that I can use the pain and the the lived experience that I've had to help more people through mm. this pod, then I'm I'm well up for doing it. Mm. Well, I think that's quite a commendable trait. And uh, just want to say at this point, before we get into everything, that um, like it's it's amazing that you're being so open, so honest, and so vulnerable. Um, it's not something that you hear so often, especially amongst men and mm-hmm. boys. Um, and so, um, so I'm sure we'll have a better idea by the end of it, but, um, yeah, I just, thanks at the moment, uh, at the beginning. Uh, thanks very much, man. For Happy to do it. For doing it. Yeah. I'm sure people will find this very helpful. Okay. Let's get onto the first topic. She's never been strange before and she never will. So Fred, um, as we make our way through this pod, We're going to start almost in a kind of chronological order through your life. Mm -hmm. And so really that takes us firstly to your early life and your primary school experience Mm -hmm. and how that kind of, that section of your life, what did you, first give us a little bit of an idea of of where you was, where was you growing up, Mm. um, how you was as a young child. Mm. And, um, and then maybe moving into school. Yeah, sure. So, so I was born in uh, Leytonstone, East London. Mm-hmm. Um, I was born at home, actually. Um, but all my siblings were born in Whips Cross. So big shout out, Whips Cross. Been a big part of my life for, <laughs> for many, many years. Um, and I lived there for about five, six years of my life. And mm-hmm. then I moved to South Woodford, where I still live now. Um, my primary school was where all my siblings um, grew up. So I have, I have three siblings. And... I kind of look back on it with a lot of fondness, mm. despite um, some of the, the negative experiences I had there through through being bullied uh, there. Mm-hmm. But I look back on it with a lot of fondness. Um, the staff there were, when I was there, were absolutely amazing. Um, they were very compassionate people, very, very empathetic people, very kind people. And they allowed me to express myself despite the really tough time that I was going through in that in between you know the ages of um sort of eight to eleven so year Mm. three to year six Mm. and was that was that really where your first experiences of a kind of um negative impact on your mental health began yeah sure so so looking back I didn't you know I I know then I know now that those were mental health experiences that I had. Yeah. Yeah. But I wasn't aware of the, I wasn't aware of those of my mental health at that point. Right. Um, I probably had the onset of anxiety from about the age of seven, Mm -hmm. um, which is pretty young, you know, for a lot of people, it's it's pretty surprising. What was the cause of that? What was, where was that stemming from? I I don't know. I think, I think anxiety is something that I've probably always had. Mm. And a kind of overwhelming worrying. Yeah, so a lot of worrying, right. um, severe overthinking, chronic overthinking, yeah. um, rumination, where you look back on past mistakes that you've made right. or think people that you've hurt accidentally or, or, or deliberately. Running and, them over and making mind. you feel really, really guilty about right. them. Um, right. But I think that was exacerbated by the bullying that I experienced. Mm-hmm. So. Um, obviously anxiety takes many forms but for me it was chronic um overthinking mm-hmm. rumination but also anxiety attacks mm-hmm. and i didn't realize these were anxiety attacks until i was about 23 years old right but i always thought it was just me stressing and right, and, um, right. and flapping and worrying right, and all right. that sort of stuff but actually it was 
it was an, a really deep set emotional anxiety attack where what would happen is I would start to sweat really quite profusely. Um, mm. My heart rate would, would quicken. It still happens now. My heart right. rate would quicken quite right. a lot. And I would be in danger of, so say if I made a mistake, say like even in primary school, say mm. if I made a mistake on a piece of work mm. and then I had an anxiety attack, um, I would be in danger of compounding a mistake right, and making right. more mistakes. Right. And then in other cases, it would be, if I make a mistake, I would feel almost really, I'd have anxiety about telling someone I've made right, the mistake. Right, right. So it would almost be like, it, it, it would be sort of two forms of an, of right. an anxiety so that attack. Was a, that was it. So that was a trigger there on its own. It's yeah. just the, you, you know, you're being so, you're so self-aware of your own mistakes. Mm. And that, that was a trigger. It wasn't necessarily an external... Um, at that point, it wasn't something external. That was, it was, it was, you was already feeling that kind of anxiety from your own actions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then the bullying obviously made, made it a lot worse. Right. Um, and during those anxiety attacks, what I also sometimes do is I catastrophize. And right. I think this is something that people with anxiety do. Yeah, they, 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 they think of the worst possible situation yeah, to emerge from that mistake mm -hmm. or that, that incident. Mm -hmm. And you think about it happening and that gives you an anxiety attack. There's all these sort of facets mm -hmm. to it. Mm -hmm. the, the, what the bullying did was, um, so imagine that you made, and we all do this, imagine you that you make a really embarrassing, you're doing a really embarrassing thing. Mm. So say, for example, you were in primary school and like you were washing your hands, sounds really stupid, but you're washing your hands and some of it got on your trousers mm. and you walked out and someone went, oh, you've, you've pissed yourself, da 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 right, da right, right. But you didn't and yeah, you get, yeah, yeah. or maybe you did piss yourself yeah. and you know, you're just, trying to, <laughs> you're just trying to hide it. But that would be a really embarrassing moment. Yeah, of course. And what the, 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 the bully that was in my primary school used to do was he would, and he would get other people in my class to do this, is that he would bring that up all the time mm. or like at specific moments in com in group conversations or in, in, in social groups um, that would humiliate me. Right. So it was like a microaggression. It wasn't necessarily something physical, although we right. did, uh, you know, physical abuse did happen, right. but it was a microaggression. And what it did was it made me very, very paranoid yeah. of- Turning the focus of the collective yeah. towards you. And sometimes I wouldn't even be, you know, I wouldn't, it, I wouldn't be piping up. I'd just be joining in the conversation and no. just, you know, being natural and whatever. So that really affected me and he would get other people in the group to do that. Right. Um, what he, what this person also did, um, he would pick sort of very trivial things about me or about mm. my personality mm. that to the, maybe to a, you know, a seven year old kid, they wouldn't realize how bad it was. If I was, you know, being racially abused or something, that was, you know, even as a seven-year-old kid, you, you'd go, that's wrong. Yeah. You know, you'd step in and whatever. Yeah. But because he was using things like, you know, the football team I support, which I love dearly, Huddersfield Town, they were a very unfashionable team. You know, yeah. everyone in my class supported <clears throat> Arsenal or Man United. Mm -hmm. um, and using football as that social hierarchy tool. Right. And Another he, stick to hit you with. Yeah, another stick to hit me with, basically. Right. And, you know, I've got a, a, a slightly rude surname. You know, I, I, my name, my surname, <laughs> yeah. My, my surname, yeah. No, it's, you know, you've got, you have to accept it, you know, and, and take a bit of banter, uh, you know. Um, but when you're a kid, you know, that is hilarious. Right. Um, so uh, he would yes, use that course. as well yeah. um, to sort of, humiliate me embarrass me right. but the mistakes the mistakes were what really affected me you so know? do you think that these experiences from an early onset were setting you up were exacerbating things that already existed in your character in your mental health state i don't know the right words to yeah, say sure, it. or do you fair. think that that 
that was the genesis of these of, of, of these issues, or or do you think that, that actually that they were exaggerating things that that preexisted? I think, to be honest, it probably is the latter. I think mm. if if the bullying hadn't happened, I still probably would have anxiety right now. Right, but it but might be, be a very very it in a different yeah, way. Yeah. It would be a very very lesser form. I still of might course. get anxiety attacks, but they might be a lot. Um, less strong mm-hmm. um, I might not have depression I might mm-hmm. not have PTSD um, but it's, it's hard to say it's, mm-hmm. you know hindsight's a wonderful thing um, but yeah I definitely think that I did have it I think it the bullying through primary school and, and late my later years exacerbated it to a horrible degree mm-hmm. because I've spoken mm-hmm. to people who have similar anxiety ticks and triggers right. Right. Um, and they say oh I do get that mm-hmm. but it's on a lot less of a scale than you perhaps might have it, Fred. Yeah, for sure. Um, Considering that this is in a very early stage of life and primary school um, age kids, I'm sure that everyone listening knows someone who's in primary school or is around that kind of age. Obviously at that age, communicating with um, people that you trust, your elders, people you find responsible, Mm. maybe those responsible characters might be a teacher, parent, family friend, um, these are obviously quite difficult events to recognize from someone who's not in the school experience. You know, if you're not in the classroom with, a, with your young kid or someone that you know, your niece, nephew, then it's very difficult to know that these things are happening. Mm. So at that time of your life, were you aware enough, um, you know, that this, this was a kind of abnormal to be treated in this way? to alert someone to the fact that this was happening or was you was that same embarrassment stopping you from kind of reaching out to a a figure that Mm. you trust a trusted figure i think i think it was a mix of both to be fair um i think it definitely i definitely knew this was abnormal Mm. at the the time i Mm. I was crying a lot i was Mm. um crying myself to sleep a lot of the time Mm. um i would cry a lot in in school as well um mm. so that was really hard um was the t- was was members of staff were they on top of it like were they on this or, or were they, I, I, I what happens so, yeah. in that in that so, in that kind of yeah. environment because surely as a parent or as a, like even me personally i would expect there to be you know something in place where if that is quite clearly recognizable which you know me and you I would like to think that I would recognize that if I was a teacher in a class quite quickly, mm. if someone was being quite visibly picked on. What kind of actions were there, if any? And, and, and was there any dialogue there between? Yeah, it's a tricky one. So so I definitely did tell teachers. And what what made it diff- more difficult for teachers in, to the, in I'll sort of defend them a lot in, in this instance, because he was what this child was able to do. He had a very, very adult mind at a very mm. early age mm-hmm. and he was able to psychologically control and manipulate the other boys in my class. Right. And because there was only about nine to 10 boys, it was a very small class, maybe about 15 girls, you know, nine to 10 boys is basically one social group when you think about it. Yeah, for sure. It's and a lot of people no, in the primary there's school There's no class. gaps. There's no other social groups I no. could have gone into. No, no. And what he was able to do is, is if, I'd, if I would complain in class that I was being picked on, he would be able to get all the other boys to say, you're wrong, no one's picking on you, you're just you're just making it up, like you're exaggerating it. Right. And when you and when you're a teacher and you must hear nine other boys saying to this other kid, right. you're making it up, that's very hard for the teacher to 
believe that one child because mm. they might be telling the truth mm. for, all, for all you know mm. but also if nine other people you know it's the rule of the majority you know if nine other people say that you're wrong and you're making this up mm. it's very hard to break through that if that makes sense so I yeah. think it was I think difficult that, mm, well to be honest with you Fred like I think that's very gracious of you to put it in that way I, I think that like as a, as a, as a if your career is a primary school teacher, you should be able to identify yeah. if a kid is playing, And I think, like, I think eventually they did see through that. Right, I think right. at the start, I right. think it was a bit more harder for them, right, I, should, right. I should say. Yeah, definitely. Um, so they did intervene at times, but again, it, it is hard for them to be looking over me all the time at lunchtime and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I think when it changed mm -hmm. quite significantly was when he uh, sexually assaulted me. Right. Um, and this is something that I only really talked about in a, an event article um, quite recently, actually, about eight, eight to nine months ago. Mm. And it all started when I wrote an article for um, a, a mental health magazine called Happy For, who are really, really good. And for some reason, they they asked me about my bullying and, and who was aware of it. And for some reason, this, this sexual assault story came back. And it was a really repressed memory for me. Right. And I started to remember all the things about how it went down and mm. who intervened and stuff. So what, what happened was, was that he was picking on me and... It's, it's very, the, the mem my memory of it isn't 100%, but I remember the incident itself. Right. So I think I must have, you know, fought back or, you know, eventually stood up for myself. Uh -huh. And we got into a fight and he pushed me against the wall. I sort of try and remember this quite as, as well as I can. And basically as he we were fighting and grappling, he moved his hand down and he, he grabbed my, my, my genitals and he tried to twist them and basically, you know, make it as a painful experience for me. Um, now, I was immediately like, as you would, it only happened for like maybe one or two seconds, but I was shocked. I immediately sort of tried to punch him and push him away. Mm -hmm. And sort of, I think by then, to sort of dinner ladies, whoever mm -hmm. had intervened. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards, um, I'm presuming that I don't, I wasn't really aware of this, um, but I found this out sort of later on as I went back into this story that, you know, evidently a teacher or a member of staff saw it mm. reported it to to my parents and they went to the school and basically told they told the head teacher and what i'm you know i'm very very grateful to, to to all people involved in this situation for for what happened next because the head teacher called in the bully mm -hmm. he called in um other people who were sort of, I call them the, his lieutenants, so to speak, right. who were corralling other boys in the class to sort of pick on me and stuff. Mm -hmm. And he basically lambasted them for, and I think whole lunchtime or something like that. He first came to me and, and, and took me outside of class and he said, right, has this person done this to you? Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah. Um, but I wasn't, I didn't cry or anything. Like mm -hmm. it wasn't, it was just something I just said, yeah, like he has done this. Like mm -hmm. um, I wasn't, sort of really emotional when he told me and he said right okay I'm going to sort this out for you and after that there was a real change in how the bully tried to bully me and what he, he how the the places that he tried to do it right and the head teacher and the t other team members of staff and the way that they um they they reacted to me in the way they they oversaw like me basically mm. i think they were a lot more protective and they were right. a lot more aware of what was going on was um, this the first instance where you felt like you had protective yeah. kind of overlookers on, sure. on your side yeah definitely and 
I'll tell like there's there's a really like good example I can give I'll give of this. Um, so we had a football tournament, right? Um, sort of like a six aside thing. You know, eight boys in the class went, uh, nine boys, and we went to I can't remember what it was. Maybe it was like Barking Side or something like mm. Power League, mm. and we were playing a team, and it was the first game, and the head teacher was the football coach, right? And he said, "Right, Freddie, I'm playing you up front." And I'm not the greatest footballer in the world. Anyone will attest to that. You know, I, I love football. I love playing football. I love watching football. But I'm not the greatest footballer in the world. Right, right. Back then, I was sort of maybe half decent at best. Right, right. And he, he put me up front. He said, I'm putting you up front for this game. It was like a 10-minute game. Mm -hmm. And the bully was like, no, like, why are you doing this, sir? Like this, And he sort of tried to get everyone else like, no, right, like, Freddie's right. Freddy crap. Like, he's shit. Like, why right. is... Maybe not said the word shit. Yeah. But they were like, he's crap. Poo. Like, yeah, 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 poo. Um, <laughs> Why is he, like, why are you playing him up front? And the head teacher went like, in front of the whole team when something along the lines of like, I'm the coach, yeah. like know you your place, and, shut yeah, up. Yeah. Like I'm putting Freddie up front, right. da 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 da. Right. And maybe he was doing it because he thought I was the best player in that game. Yeah. But maybe he was also doing it to protect me. Yeah, back um, in you. And maybe give me a bit, give me a chance to express myself. Yeah, for sure. Um, You know, I moved back into defense like the game after, but the, the effect, <laughs> looking back, I didn't really realise the effect the that it positive had on me until outcome. then. Yeah, yeah for until, sure. Until I, so I look back in hindsight and that was a really big thing for me. So and you'd the, say yeah. that, that because what I'm trying to think as we go through this podcast is to try and identify, like have people, listeners identify with the different characters in this story. Mm -hmm. And if you can be one of them, a positive character in one of these stories for someone that you know, um, then I think that's probably one of the most important things you can get out of mm. listening to this as a podcast as well. Mm. So... You know, something as something as might seem trivial to the rest of the team, or you know, the next week or the next week. But that was a that was a a, a massive boost to how you was feeling at the time. Yeah, it was a massive boost to my confidence. And it, he he, th this head teacher, I'll probably send him this podcast after we do it because um, I've been in contact with him recently about right. it. And he wouldn't probably be, he would probably be okay with me saying his name, but I, he th he said it's not really worth. You know, yeah, yeah. He doesn't want the spotlight yeah, yeah. and all that. Um, but I just said to him, like, you know, you had a really positive effect on me. And mm. he, he he wasn't the most outwardly compassionate person. No. He wasn't the person giving me a hug and saying it's going to no, be no. all right. But he just, you know, I knew he was he there felt for he me. was on your side. He yeah. I felt there was he was a presence. My, yeah, I felt he was on my side. So I that's knew, important in those kind of experiences mm. to be able to feel that someone is backing you. He's got your corner at least. Yeah. And, and, and a position of authority. Does mm -hmm. that, Especially mm -hmm. a head teacher. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, I am grateful to to my parents for intervening and, and and notifying him. But to have that that first male teacher figure of authority that I could look to, right? Feel like I that could was trust. Important. Uh, that was really important for me. Right. Yeah. Uh, and you know, we had we had a conversation when when I got back in touch with him about how he said, you know, he's a football league fan. Mm -hmm. um, he supports a football league club. And he said, he always remembers me because mm. we used to have chats about it, even as like an eight year old, uh, or whoever, however old he was, he, however old um, person he was about like the, you know, being a football league sure. supporter and all that. Cause he said it was so unique that he found a child that, mm. that supported Huddersfield town. Do you think that football has been a kind of mainstay, a foundation of positive kind of uh, positive energy in your life experience. Mm. I know that, that 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 was definitely an escape for you to go to Huddersfield yeah. Town Games with your yeah. dad. What kind of, were they some like, are they memories that you cherish from, from that stage of your life? Yeah, definitely. I mean, for a long time, Huddersfield was, was a form of embarrassment for me. Right. People used to take the piss out of me for right. so much. And I'd sort of, people would say, oh, what's your football team? And I'd sort of go, oh, well, like the... 
they're, uh, they're not in the Premier yeah, League. Yeah, and I'd yeah. sort of find some, I'd take 10 minutes to yeah. explain who they I were. I understand that. Because the minute I'd tell people, they would take the piss out of me and laugh yeah, at me or for whatever. Sure. And they're, they're, I could see their mind changing as to when I told them. Mm -hmm. And that was really hard for me. But at the time, it was going to games. Yeah, for sure. It was a massive escapism for me. You know, I used to go to games all the time with my dad. Mm -hmm. And it was really ironic because I, when I was being bullied, the the thing that I was one of the things that I was being bullied for was the thing that I loved to to, right. to do and get right. away from and you know sometimes my dad would like take me out of school yeah. to go to like really important games but yeah. because no one gave a fuck who Huddersfield was yeah, 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 they didn't yeah. really question it too yeah, much yeah, like, yeah. so I had like a playoff semi final. I think we were in League Two or League One. I think it was League Two. And he took me out of school for like two days and he just made up some excuse Sweet. like, yeah, doctor's note. Right, right, out. right. And um, no one could be bothered to go, hmm, that's funny. Uh -huh. Freddie's not in. And how does And did you love that? That was your moment I loved to that. escape. Yeah, was... I loved that. It was my escapism. And, and you know, you're a kid and you, if you're being bullied or one of the reasons you're being bullied is, is because of it. And you go to a place where everyone is the same and mm, mm. everyone is reveling in how you know, how much they love the club and, you know, how much, how crap we were doing in one particular game or, you know, Gallo's humor, in yeah. York, you know, yeah. the Yorkshire people is, is, is my favorite humor. And my dad obviously is, is the reason why I support town. And, um, he's got a great sense of humor. Right. Um, but other people you hear, you know, the stories that you, we have mm, of, mm. of that time and mm. people saying ridiculously funny things in yeah. games and that Yorkshire wit, yeah. um, that was a really great escape for me. Um, and definitely, definitely shaped a lot of the experiences that I have, to, I have today and still, still do today. Mm. Before we move on to the next kind of portion of your life uh, and your school experience, mm. um, just to, to round up this, this, this section, what would you say is like some useful or some good advice for someone that y you might think maybe identifies with someone in this story, whether you see maybe your own kid as the abuser, the mm -hmm. abused, mm -hmm. someone who's maybe complicit, mm -hmm. who has a friend that might this mm -hmm. might be happening to, or as an, an adult looking from a position of responsibility at, at that situation. Mm. As someone who's lived that experience, where would you say is the best place for these people to lean on? Or like, mm. what, what do you do in that situation? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think the first thing I would say is if you're, I'll, I'll unpack that for, in, in, a couple of, in a couple of ways. So as, as a victim myself, um, I, look, I know now looking back, and this is why I have a lot of solidarity and, and, um, and kind of, uh, I can relate to a lot of the mm. Me Too movement mm. because people who came out, women, really strong and powerful women who came out about their experiences said they couldn't remember everything that happened that night and mm, I can't, mm. I can't remember everything that happened on that day but mm. I can remember the incident. Mm -hmm. And they, a lot of the time they will say, that person who abused me did it from a position of power. Definitely. They felt that they were untouchable mm. and I feel like he did it because he felt he was untouchable mm. and he felt that he could do this to me in front of all the boys mm. and they would not say anything. Mm. They would not report it to the teacher because he felt he had complete control over them. Mm. So that's a really important point to make. I think regard as regards to kind of victim, um, you know, abuser um, and all these other things, mm. I think first thing, look for some really red, really big red, fl red flags. So they may not be really obvious, but if you see a small one, it could mm. be a, it could be a big one, so to speak. Mm, exactly. so if, your child, if your child is crying at school or comes home crying, that's a really big one, obviously. Yeah. And they, they don't want to say, what yeah, it's about. exactly. The embarrassment, the humiliation, it's the stigma. kind of stigma around yeah. being snitching. And, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And 
I think another one is that they say they hate school. Right. I think that's a really big one. Right. Because it might be because they just hate, you know, doing homework every yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. But, but it's it could worth, be a really big reason. Exactly. And it's worth investigating. Exactly. And I think for any uh, person who's listening to this, you might be in a, might be a, a victim of, of, of a crime or, or, or being bullied themselves. I think find a neutral arbiter. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really big point I always try and say to people. If you don't feel comfortable talking about it with your parents, mm-hmm. and I probably wasn't, um, and you know, for most points in my life. Yeah, for um, sure. For, 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 for different reasons. Oh, for um, sure. Find a teacher. Um, and if you can't find a teacher, find a family member. And if you can't find a family member, find a friend. And if you can't find a friend, and if you don't have any friends, like I had for a long time in my life, just find someone. You know, it could be, it could be someone you just met. It could be someone that um, is a small part of your life, but you feel like you can talk to them without fear of reprisal. Mm-hmm. Um, or you, you, you can talk to them because you don't know them that well. Mm-hmm. And that, that might be a way in for you to talk about your experience. So I think finding, you know, finding a neutral arbiter is, is the best point to the best starting point, mm-hmm. I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, as for, if you know someone who might be an abuser, that's a really tough question for me mm. to answer. Um, mm. Especially because it's that's it's quite a so lot of emotion loaded. Built. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's quite a lot of emotion built into that. Um, I think if you are someone who knows someone who is being bullied, I think I would probably say to that person, stand up for them. Mm. Because primary school is a small place. You know, it doesn't define you. Mm. And something short, you know, you might lose someone who you think is a friend because you're standing up to someone but then you could say well if you're losing someone as a friend because you're standing up for what you believe in and you're standing up for someone who's in pain and clearly is suffering then were they really really your friend in Mm. the first place Mm. or did you really ever were they a good friend to have Mm. anyway Mm. um if you if you know someone who's an abuser that's that's a really, really tough question. I think you've got to do a lot of investigating into it first. You know, yeah. find out the background reasons as to perhaps why they're doing it. Yeah. It could be a problem at home. It could be some deep psychological reasons why they haven't um, acted in the right way. Mm. Um, but the most important thing of all is to report it. Yeah. Because speaking from a victim, I feel like there needs to be some form of justice. Right. That I don't, that I think that, they can't get away with it, right. in my opinion. Right. And I think we'll come on to this later, but a lot of the time when I went to secondary school, there was a lot of a fe- there was a lot of feeling from me that these people got away with it. Mm-hmm. There was no justice. There was no um, there was no understanding from them as to what they did to me. Right. Whereas in primary school, I feel like this this boy was you know, clearly a very psychologically troubled person. Mm. Um, I'm not going to say he was an evil person, but certainly some of the things he did were of an evil nature, so to right, speak. Right, right. But at least he knew that he couldn't get away with it. Mm. And maybe he didn't feel guilty about it afterwards. Mm. I can't, so I can only speculate. Mm. But the fact that he was served justice, mm-hmm. so to speak, made me feel a lot better. Right. Yeah, I understand that completely. And really, the environment of a primary school, if you, can, if you can serve that kind of justice with inverted comments, um, then you essentially, you might be stopping something that in, an, in the next environment, secondary school, mm. um, could be a lot more serious. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. And I think I was... I was I was almost a bit lucky to be in that school, and mm. um, because 
I feel like, you know, all the guidelines were followed, all the all the policies were, were put in place to help me. And looking back, I kind of sometimes don't realise the impact it must have had on staff and the situation that they must have had to navigate. Mm, mm. Because as a teacher, you know, that is what you're trained to do, essentially, those really big, heavy situations mm. where something's happened, a child has been abused um, by another child, and you need to follow the correct procedures, otherwise you are in big trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, not just with parents, but potentially higher authority. So mm. the fact that they did that and the fact that they they did help me in that way, I think was massive for me. And I, I am very, very appreciative of, of all of those teachers who helped me. Um, but I also would probably stress that, you know, sometimes teachers do get it wrong. Yeah. And they are human beings. Yeah. So, and we need to understand that. Yeah, for sure. So Freddie, moving out of primary school experience and into the secondary school kind of environment, Mm -hmm. can you just set the scene of your secondary school environment, what it was like, where are you, what kind of things are you interested in, what's going on at that point in your life? So you couldn't imagine a great, a big, obviously people, for most people, primary school and secondary school is a very big jump, it's a very Mm. scary jump. But looking back, there probably couldn't have been a more different juxtaposition from school environments Mm -hmm. to a religious school, a secondary school that was also religious, but in Romford, in a very working class part of Essex, um, it was about an hour away for me to get to. And it was extremely hierarchical, extremely rough, probably one of the roughest schools in the borough, if not London. Um, And was a just completely different world to what I experienced mm. in primary school. You know, there was 250 odd kids in a year. It was so easy to get lost if you were, if you weren't careful, as in lost as in within the system itself. For sure. Yeah. And I sort of describe it as a mix between sort of like a prison yard and sort of 90210. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so it was very hierarchical. All the boys were, it was filled with toxic masculinity, mm. a lot of Islamophobia, mm-hmm. um, a lot of homophobia um, as well. Um, and um, the boys, all the boys you talk about were like, who was the best at fighting mm-hmm. or football. And as much as I loved football, football became quite a, a negative thing at school because mm. it was a hierarchical tool. Right. It was, a, it was a, a, a sport that was used to exclude people. It was a leveler. Were, it was a leveler, yeah. yeah. And and if you were good at football, you were, you may not have been liked, but you were respected. Right. And if you weren't good at football, which was me, sort of me, um, I, I loved playing if I wasn't the greatest in the world. Mm. Um, it was just a way for people to just kind of put you down and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So that was really hard for me. Um, and I think despite the fact that it was only an hour away, I think also like the different, the changing culture from East London and being in that network to being mm. this kind of outer part of Essex where everyone was from like Basildon, Grays, Thurrock, you know, um, Harold Wood, all these mm. other places that I didn't really know about and were just a completely different world to me than, mm. than and they, I think they probably viewed me differently just because I was just like, so you essentially, you, you, you felt immediately, um, kind of lost other, othered. Oh, hundred percent othered. Yeah. Yeah. In every sense, you know, um, the, one of the things people used to banter me about was that I came from South Woodford, that I was right. from just like, and, and, and being sort of, lower middle class right right um 
And, you know, most people would talk to me. They wouldn't probably guess that I was like, they wouldn't say I was posh or they mm. wouldn't say I was, I mean, I'm, I'm, sometimes I think I'm a bit well-spoken sometimes, yeah. um, but I'm not anything out of the ordinary, right, right. but I was so out of the ordinary to them right. because I was different, because I was loud, because, mm. um, you know, I had, I had these marks of, of, of difference that people found funny or people found, mm -hmm. um, that they could abuse me for. Right. So like we've mentioned previously, Huddersfield Town, mm -hmm. having a funny surname, mm -hmm. um, being a loud person mm -hmm. generally, wanting to learn. That was mm -hmm. another thing that was sort of held against me. Mm -hmm. um, I was obviously a very hyperactive kid. Right. Um, At this stage, like, tell us about who year seven Freddie is. Like, are you, because yeah. I, I know Freddie Coker from, you know, much different time in your mm. life. You know, you've already been through quite a, a, a lot of what we're going to discuss mm. in the pod. You know, but that by that point, I know uh, outgoing people would agree with me. I'm sure, <laughs> outgoing can like run his mouth about pretty much any topic. You know, always <laughs> Not always in, a good thing. But you know, yeah. like from, from my experience, you know, always very high energy, positive energy. You know, yeah. someone who is always you know doing the most to make sure everyone is feeling comfortable and has conversation flowing, mm. you know, outgoing, clearly outgoing and confident. Mm. So where was you, where's year seven Freddie in comparison to that Freddie that I met? Yeah. Was you still, was you still uh, like a extrovert or had your experiences of primary school made you an introvert? It's a really good question. So, so it's great that you actually say I'm confident because I'm not confident at all. It's just being extroverted. Well, the appearance, yeah, of, the appearance confidence, of it is a very interesting I'm, I, thing. I yeah. did suffer from that same thing. Yeah. I mean, now where I am now, you know, I am actually more confident mm. anyway, but you're right. You, you, you can appear confident quite easily yeah. without actually feeling confident. Exactly. And I think that people, obviously they misplace um, extrovertedness for confidence. And right. what back then, people would sort of say I was arrogant or they would say, you know, they would take the piss out of me and sometimes that's things like that. So if it, it, immediately I would self-deprecate and put myself down because right. I didn't want people to think I was arrogant, if that uh -huh. makes sense. For sure. And Overcompensating. Yeah, overcompensating massively, yeah. massively. Um, in year seven, I was, I don't think that the bullying from primary school initially held me back too much because right. I just thought I'm in a different school now yeah. I can try and be myself again and, right. and I swiftly found out that that was So you I really came that. to the secondary school thinking this is a rebirth you know yeah. Phoenix oh, on the flames so you uh, you were actually positive at that point mm. you were not you weren't kind probably of from probably from probably through naivety rather than more than anything but yeah right. well yeah, yeah. I guess, but should, should you have had a different opportunity, that might have been a jump off point it could have from been. there It could well. have been a different path. Yeah, 100%. You know, secondary school environment, I'm sure most school environments bar some kind of high discipline ones, but even those, they're savage mm. habitats, mm. you know, and kids are savage, mm. you know, and, and, and especially at that age, like you say, the hierarchy and the, and the, and the con constant play for power and stuff mm. means that kids are motivated to do pretty savage things. Mm. And so when you came in in year seven, um, what kind of characters confronted you from that first experience? Did you did you find that you was being met with hostility from the, the yeah. beginning? Or was there like a slow introduction into, into that experience? I think your year seven, so no one, not straight away, mm -hmm. but that year, that first, four or five months, I didn't really realize that a lot of boys were sort of 
putting their first feelers out into positioning for power, right. social hierarchy, like making sure that they were the toughest kid, all that mm -hmm. sort of stuff. Um, and I didn't really realise that. I was so naive, you know, as a as 11-year-old kid, you would be. Yeah, for sure. Um, You're still young then. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I found it really tough because I kept trying to be myself and wanting to learn and being enthusiastic in class, but also trying to muck about, you know. I wasn't like some sort of bookish Mm. guy that was always mm. in the library and stuff mm. like that mm. I was just the guy that liked to learn I, li I enjoyed the subjects that I enjoyed mm. Mm. but I also liked to muck about a bit you know yeah. and and, have, and crack a joke like I still do Yeah. Um, and I found that difficult because some teachers would be really receptive of it and be really pleased that, that I was like the only person putting my hand up when someone mm. asked about something mm. um, and then some teachers would, would find it really jarring or think I was like being disruptive which mm. really got to me because um, mm. I always used to get them good grades right, which right. You always used to kind of piss me off right. Um but then I eventually started realizing that that this was a really, really tough school, right. and a really tough environment. Right. And, you know, it was very much. I'm trying to. I'm trying to try, try find the best way to describe it. Like road culture. Right. If that makes sense. Uh -huh. Like someone said something about someone, they'll see him outside school, they'll beat him up. Do you know right. what I mean? That sort right. of very much like gossipy. Right. Um, like prison culture. Yeah. If, if anything, yeah. the way to describe it. And so um, there was kind of. That manifested itself in three individuals. From year seven to year nine, that's in correct. Yeah. Year seven to year nine. In my nine form stayed. group, because you were only mainly in your, you right. were test this as well, yeah. right? Year seven to year nine, you're kind of in your form group for your all classes. class, class, class. Yeah. You have the same, you're in the same class, same environment for yeah. different subjects. You're the same, around the same, same kind of people. people. Yeah. And so yeah. who describe, give me a little bit of background on these, on, on these three members uh, of these three individuals mm. and, and how did that begin and, and what kind of, maybe a, an example of something that, that they did. Yeah, so 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 one was the sort of main tormentor and he would be the most abusive. He would corral the class into, not just those two and other two individuals, but he would corral the class into abusing me as well and picking on me. Mm. Sometimes teachers would join in, which was really hard. Um, now that's um, a real yeah. interesting point. If I could stop you Yeah, there. sure, sure. Teachers joining in, just give us a little bit of a background on 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 what's going on there like that to me is you know it's quite a big thing so, that's yeah. kind of a that's a issue isn't it really so if i was kind of not being disruptive but if i was being a bit hyperactive mm. and everyone was telling me to shut the fuck up mm. or like like telling me no one liked me in class mm, mm, mm. and i would try and sort of fight back or whatever mm. teacher would just say like oh, shut up now freddie like Right, enough right right they wouldn't back me up they wouldn't be like whoa this is this is a whole class against this one kid even if he was even if i was being disruptive yeah, yeah, yeah. like if you hit if you see that happening looking back like surely you would have at least tried to intervene mm -hmm. and be like kind of separate the two mm. whereas to me it felt like quite a few teachers in that school either abetted them or encouraged them right and not all teachers did. There was right. a, I could give a few examples of some really amazing teachers who helped me out a lot. Yeah. But that that's definitely how it felt. Mm. Um, but going back to sort of the the the, the mindset of the, the the three bullies. So one of them was a tormentor. He wasn't a particularly sort of big kid or or tough kid, but mm. he was the psychological one. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. There was one who was the sort of sheep. If that makes sense, right. the one who joined in the mm -hmm. most. Um, Probably was someone who also later on in, in school probably got picked on himself by the class a right. bit. Um, and probably had his own issues to deal with. Uh -huh. And then there was the third one who was the big physical aggressor. Right. And he wouldn't always be the one picking on me the most, but 
I and there was examples I can give where so I'll give a, a good example of this. So I was on the bus once, and you know, double decker bus. Right. Everyone back from school. It's it is like the jungle. Laws of jungle. Right. You know, kill or be killed. Dog eat dog. Someone does something, and you know, the whole thing, the whole place erupts. Yeah. And I remember him. I remember sitting down on this bus and him sort of kind of shouting at shout like abuse at me from the from the standing up on the bus. Mm. And I remember this was like the first time I went. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna say something back. I piped back to him, and he just pummeled me in on the bus mm. in front of like the whole bus mm. like just just raining down punches on me for about a minute and i just started cry. obviously this guy's a big like for mm, a kid mm. for a year seven you know year seven eight nine he was a big kid mm, mm, mm. and i remember just crying on the bus i remember sitting next to this guy who wasn't even my friend who was just like trying to console me and obviously like when something like that happens you know you're in a you're in a school of 250 people even before social media word gets round oh, of course really quickly you come into school the next day i mean i came home from school probably had not sure whether i had bruises on me but i felt like i did because of all the all the all the punches mm. and you know you come into school the next day you're constantly looking about who's talking about you see people having reactions to you or if you go into a, a class and everyone th everything gets a bit more quieter mm. do you know what i mean mm. so you start getting a bit more paranoid mm. um so you know, that felt like going to prison every day, really, and having that anxiety on a Sunday to, mm. to going in on the Monday. Mm. Um, How did the school deal with that? Um, so my, from 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 vague memory, I, I remember my mum kind of telling the school and telling the head of the year. And um, all I can remember him doing, and he was someone who like, loved saying how much he hated bullies and he couldn't stand them and all this sort of stuff. Right. But all I remember him doing was having a word with them. Mm, mm. and like one of the bullies like said to me like afterwards he was like oh, how can you possibly think we were bullying you mm. and I didn't really respond to it mm. and I remember there was another example of when we were walking from like one class to another across the school mm. and they were just taking it turns just to backhand me like we were all walking on a bit they were just taking the turns to backhand me around the back of the head and they just did it for like maybe like maybe, maybe like five ten minutes mm, mm. And I just couldn't take it. I just ran into this the, the new block, which was like where my classroom was. And I remember running into the toilets and just crying and just thinking, oh, no one will see me in here. Mm -hmm. Like I'll just cry mm -hmm. silently and, mm -hmm. and kind of put myself together. Mm -hmm. And I'll go back into class. And someone had seen me, either someone had seen me in the toilets or someone had seen like me go in crying. And then they came up to me like, oh, I heard you were crying in the toilets, da 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 da. Immediately I got like anxiety attack. And then that started getting spread. And you know, when you hear that about yourself, mm. you don't really feel like you're a man. You don't really feel like you have yeah. the ability. You're to now on a downward spiral. Yeah, I mean, whatever social position I was in previous to that, it was just all downhill from there. Um, mm. So that was really that was when the damage had had started to get done, and and and, and the damage to my rep, so in inverted commas, so uh -huh. to speak, started. Um, you know, a do lot you of think you touched there on on the fact that you know being a boy, and your idea of like you know your what it is to be a boy and what mm. it is to be a man and these kind mm. of character traits you've spoken about toxic ma masculinity already. Mm. What do you think is the difference for the boy's experience of being a victim of bullying and and, and a girl's experience? Sure. So so <laughs> I think it's a really good question. And with boys. I think, A, it's probably more likely to involve physical abuse as well as um, mm. emotional abuse for, uh -huh. for a few reasons. Um, so for mine, it, 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 there was both. Uh -huh. I think, you know, speaking very stereotypically, I think sometimes girls in a group can be 
horrific, horrific to another girl in a group. Yeah, and I've heard very, you know, emo the emotional side, the yeah. sort of psychological manipulation, yeah. turning people against one another oh. that, that I've heard girls who have been bullied have that experience. Mm -hmm. But also, I think you know. Obviously, you know, that girls can be physically abusive as well. Yeah, of obviously, obviously, of course. But just talking really stereotypically. Yeah. But with mine, it was a lot of physical abuse. Mm -hmm. But it was also a lot of emotional abuse. Mm -hmm. It was also a lot of turning boys against one another to me. Do you and think also, that yeah. the emotional abuse, because of the stereotypes of what it is to be a man mm. and, and and all of that, especially growing up as a young as a boy. Mm. Do you think that the emotional impact is downplayed because it 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 goes against the grain of 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 you know like we're saying those those classic character traits of being brave man up you yeah, know I take think... take the beating mm. you know this is going to make you stronger this yeah. idea that this is like you know doggy dog character building character building yeah, that sure. mask of character building where you feel like you, you know that yeah you might be physically being abused but like emotionally you have to be a, a, a solid mm. you know and 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 that maybe being viewed the outs the people who should really have been protecting you do you think that because you are a boy that that the emotional impact was downplayed 100% 100% so the, you're completely right i think it is downplayed I think it was underplayed. I think mm. people thought that, oh, you know, physical abuse probably for a boy is the is the is the worst form of abuse they could get. Yeah. But the emotional side was them turning people against me and making my reputation within the school horrific. Mm -hmm. And another side of it was, you know, sometimes like one of the boys would would say to all the girls, like, what do you think of Freddie? Like from a romantic perspective. Mm -hmm. And they'd all be like, Oh, he's fucking ugly. Like, mm -hmm. why the fuck would we go out with him? Da -da -da. Mm -hmm. And that's a really big psychological yeah, mind for fuck sure. as well. Because as a boy, you know, you're discovering things about yourself, discovering yeah. things about your sexuality. And to hear that from the opposite sex, if you are, if you happen to be yeah. straight, of course. Yeah. Um if you hear those things from the opposite sex, that's completely demoralized yeah for you know, sure it's complete your self-esteem is gone your self-confidence is gone 100%. and that was really hard for me to hear from girls in my group you know i'd be sitting in the class and they'd be talking about boys in the class and mm -hmm. normally boy that they'd be talking about the the tough boys you know the road men mm -hmm. the, the gangsters mm -hmm. the the boys who acted the the, the most confident all mm -hmm. that the brashest mm -hmm. they'd be talking about the, those ones that they liked and they they like my name would come up and they like just discard it or say i was like mm -hmm. fucking ugly mm -hmm. or like why we go up him is a boff boffin was a word they used to use mm, as well. Mm -hmm. Like I've never classed myself as a as a clever person, but right. that was a phrase they used to use as like a, right. a leveler against me. So um, at this time, where do you find yourself socially? And in, in, obviously, uh, across the school, you must have rated yourself pretty low on the social hierarchy. Oh, at the bottom. But did you, what was your social group like at this point yeah. what was your social group like what were your friend was you a part of a friendship group did you have a small yeah. uh, group of, of of really close friends did you have a was you part of a kind of a bigger group mm. that you felt a little bit more yeah like, what was your social makeup at that point sure so just quickly i'll just add um from your last question that the juxtaposition between boys and girls i'll give an example of when a girl was bullied in my class and she got bullied on MSN, you know, mm -hmm. me and you, mm -hmm. you know about MSN, mm -hmm. Beaver, all that sort For of stuff. For sure. She got bullied by two of the boys who are my bullies. Um, and she got really horribly bullied. People made mean, like, sort of gifts or whatever they, right, the, right. they were back in those days. Yeah, pain. And yeah, 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 on pain, yeah. And all the boys in my year, in my class got called in at lunchtime, uh -huh. shouted at, obviously they were singled out, but I was sitting there going, why am I here? Mm -hmm. Like, I've got nothing to do with this. Mm -hmm. I'm not picked on her. Why am I being singled out mm -mm. for this? And it was like, I felt quite attacked. Yeah. 
but that was a big juxtaposition from when I was being treated for being bullied. Mm. Um, so I just wanted to add that in. But yeah. as regards to the social group, so my social group in secondary school was looking back a very toxic group, a very um, a group that was filled with the same hierarchies and um, uh, and and horribleness that the schools associated mm -hmm. with. How but many people in this group? So it was probably about. I reckon all told at its peak, maybe like 10 to 15. Okay, and then sometimes cool. other people would come in. Yeah. We'd all hang about at a bench at lunchtime and right. sometimes other people from different groups would come, right. would come and hang out. Um, and at this time, you're viewing them, that the, you still consider them your friends. Yeah, at that point, I considered them my friends, uh -huh. yeah. Um, but you don't feel, while this, this the, the, the bullying experience is going on in this seven to nine years, mm you don't feel the backing of that group? No, never. No, never at any point. I'll get, when I was in year nine, it was when um, they started to, the, the social group started to really abuse me a lot more and right. from, until year 11. So right. there was one story when we were walking home, we used to walk home from school, we used to get the 86 bus back to Chawahi Station. And sometimes if the buses were too busy for my school, we'd walk and one day they just took it in turns just to spit at me. Oh, just spit gosh. on my clothes and they'd hang back first they'd like they wouldn't do it like facing me and you together as we are right now mm, they'd mm. hang back behind me spit at my oh, like awful. trousers back of my blazer arms sometimes they i'd know they were doing it and then sometimes they'd do it like secretly if that makes sense mm, mm. so i came home and my mom like saw my blazer and she was like what is all this on your blazer gosh. they were like what is what 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 is this is it like did you like spill like an ice pole or yeah, something like yeah, it was like yeah. kind of liquid but yeah, of it kind course. of a, sort of yeah. dried in a little yeah, bit by yeah, then. Of course. some of it was still fresh yeah. and i said oh yes the the xx and y yeah. um um they just spat at me and she was like why did they spit at you and i was like i don't know so uh, the my mum i didn't tell her to do this but my mum phoned up the mums of all of those people mm. and she was like i don't know what she said but basically two of them the boys ended up phoning my home phone and like apologizing to me down the phone because obviously mm. their parents had like mm. ridiculously laid into them mm -hmm. and i didn't i know i didn't ask for that no. but they, this is probably like my mum doing what she thought was right but then after that sort of maybe two months three months down the line they'd try and pick on me and abuse me and if mm. i tried to fight back they'd be like what are you gonna do fred you're gonna get gonna get your mum to call us again Gonna right. get one to call, your, call our parents snitch again. Snitch mentality. Yeah, it was snitch again. mentality, and right. whatever you know respect I'd had in that group, which was probably a low point anyway, right. was gone. Right. So, you know, I there was immediately that snitch mentality mm -hmm. and that whole building back into that whole prison idea. Mm. Um, so that was really hard. And then I remember another time when, I think this was later on, maybe like year ten, eleven, and we we're walking outside of the back back of school, and. We were walking along, so we were walking along the back, and obviously there's car people picking, coming to pick up their their kids and all that sort of stuff. And I cross the road, and all of a sudden this big four by four comes comes alongside me, and this big this like this big guy like old like fifth must be in his forties or fifties, and he starts shouting at me, "You what you oh you big mouth cunt? What, what? are you doing?" We'll bleep we'll bleep that out by the way, man. Yeah. Sorry, I shouldn't have said. He said, "You you fucking prick." Um, you think you you think you're so smart, da 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 da. Having a like, and I was like, what is? Like, I'm like, I'm looking at him, and, I'm, and I mean, I, I, first like ten seconds, I sort of ignore him because mm, mm, mm. I'm I meeting him. Yeah, he's, not, my, my, yeah, he's not doing anything to yeah, me. Yeah. But he just keeps going, and he's rolling the car along, oh and he keeps gosh. going. And I'm just like, I'm not going to take this from some random guy who's just having. A, I thought it was like some crazy person right, in his car, right. and he went. I just told him to fuck off, 
And he drives up like halfway down the road. And all of a sudden, like, this guy grabs me and it's like one of the inverted commas toughest boys in my year. Mm. And it turns out that I, I find out later on that the boys who in my social group who had been picking on me from year nine to year 11, they'd abused this guy in his car like shouted at him. He mm. didn't know who it was. Mm, mm, mm. He pulls alongside me, thinks it's me, starts abusing me. I then get the ire from his, his, who is his son. And he's got like three of his other sons in the car. Mm. They're all like year 10, 11, big mm, guys. Mm, I can't mm. really fight back against this guy. Otherwise mm. I'm going to get absolutely destroyed. So he hits me a couple of times. He's like, say sorry to my dad. Say sorry to my dad. I'm like, I didn't say anything to him. Like, why are you like, mm. What mm. what are you do, what are you doing? Like I'm not I didn't say anything to you. Tries to like drag me towards his towards the car. This is like middle of the road, by the way, middle right. of the road outside the back of the school. Like right. everyone's watching, don't right. parents, people in cars, whatever. Yeah. So I'm like, get off me, get off me. So I shrug him off and I start walking up this side road towards where the bus stop is. Then my the guys in my social group come and join me again and we start walking. I was like, that's pretty weird. Like, why is he doing that? Like, whatever. Try and shake it off. Yeah. Unbeknownst to me, he runs up, this this kid, still angry, runs up behind me, kicks me in the back of the leg, like hard enough for me to buckle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chucks me onto like a brick wall, slams me down on it, tries to like force me to apologize still, tries to steal my shoes, punches me a few times, like chucks me over the wall. Um, I like to sort of just shrug it off. I'm just like, obviously you, ha you have to, you can't oh, cry right. in front of like, like fucking mm. 90 people. Mm. And then, um, I walk back, I just go back home, just get the bus with mm. the people in my social group and go back home. And then the next day, um, people obviously talking about it at school. Someone comes up to me, goes, oh yeah, I would have intervened, but like a rare tear tear. Like obviously people who are obviously like too, too afraid to do it. Obviously people mm. say that sort of stuff. Oh, mm. I would have definitely intervened. Blah, blah, blah. Mm, mm, mm. And um, someone blurts it out. And my form tutor at the time, um, we must've been maybe year nine, I think at this time, because he, he actually left. Mm. my form because he was too he was sick of my form because they were so naughty and he gave it to some other teacher for year 10 and 11 so this was definitely year 9 and I remember him saying he said Fred you got you got you got beaten up by X outside of school yesterday I said yeah so I did and he went oh, yeah he's a bit of a he's a bit of a like he said something along the lines of he's a bit of a wild one he's, yeah. a, he's a, yeah. not a nice kid or something a lot to that effect yeah. Yeah. no like okay, let's go sort this out. No, like, right. let's go to get a statement. So that was an example of someone in a position of, of power and of authority just dismissing. Dismissing my pain, experience. dismissing my experience, yeah. dismissing the potential implications it could have had on me. Um, so so that, that, was a, point, that was a really traumatic experience for me. At that for point, sure. after that experience, what, what do you, uh, as year nine Freddie Cocker, you're thinking this has all just happened. Mm. What, what do you see as a viable option of, of essentially what can you do at this point? Uh, at that point... Are only, you completely... Yeah. You've given up or you... Yeah, at that point, the only viable option for me was suicide. Right. Because... And is that the first moment in your life that that thought had come in? No. Had to come into No, I definitely felt suicidal from when I started getting bullied in year seven to that point. But right. it was more suicidal thoughts, hating myself, crying myself to sleep um, a lot. Um, sitting up, sitting at, sitting in my bed at night, thinking about how many people would miss me if I took my own life. Right. I would normally only get to about four or five, which was really, really weird and sad. Right. Um, planning it, thinking about doing it, 
I definitely had suicidal thoughts in primary school, but they weren't really fully formed, if that makes sense. My brain right. was still very young and I just thought about like, yeah, I don't want to be, awful. I was, it was more like, I don't want to be here anymore. Like, oh, I hate myself and all right, that sort of right. stuff. Whereas in, in secondary school, it was not, a lot more like, I want to do this. This is how I'm going to do it. This right. is how I'm going to like plan it. This is the rope, this is the letter I'm going to write. Um, so in year nine, it came to a head and I found as many, probably my stupidity sort of saved me more than anything because um, I had seen like examples of on TV where things had gone wrong and people had been really suicidal and I thought that if I took like all the Nurofen or ibuprofen or whatever mm. in my house, mm. then I could go to sleep and I wouldn't be able to wake back and it would like cause mm. some sort of stomach mm, mm, thing mm. or whatever, mm, some mm, sort mm. of thing. And I, I, I woke up the next day and I didn't, I just felt sad that I couldn't, hadn't died. Mm. Um, that is awful. So How old are you at that point? 13. That is awful for um, Yeah, so year nine was definitely the point when I, I tried it for the first time. And at this point yeah. you feel completely isolated and alone yeah. With, with pretty much your social group has abandoned you in, in front of, whilst this experience is going on, mm -hmm. so you don't really, feel, you're still part of that group, but mm -hmm. you don't feel them backing you. You've, your only other really point of authority in the school, just completely. And no, I wasn't, I was never flagged either. <coughs> I was never flagged by another teacher. Right, right. Who right. might have thought, we struggling. Disregarded, yeah. 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 So, yeah, you just must feel so lost at that point, right? Yeah, I hated myself. I was told, I was told that everyone hated. Me. I mean, not everyone probably hated me in that social in that year group, and mm -hmm. I definitely I didn't have any friends at that point. But there was definitely people who were nice to me. Mm -hmm. But I felt hated by the majority. I was constantly told that everyone hated me. And people, if I tried to like, you know, stand up for myself, people would say like, "No one likes you in this class." I was told to go and kill myself quite a lot by people. And not even people who bullied me, actually. Mm. People would tell me to go and kill myself by like people who weren't just people in class or just just people who I, who I knew but who mm. I wasn't friends with. Mm. Um, so that was really hard. And when people are telling you that on a constant basis, then eventually that just grinds you down. And I just had, I had basically the only reason that I was able to get through it or survive it because is. I had I, I developed this really unhealthy siege mentality inside my own head. Right. Where I thought that, you know, if I have no friends and and I and I want to die, but the only way I can survive is if I say if I think about all these people and go, I'll prove you wrong. Mm. When I get like, I'll prove you wrong. Mm. Um, I'll show you all when I get out of school I, and I met and I, I can make it and and you know in ten years time I can look back and go like I won. Right. But that's quite an unhealthy mentality to <laughs> right. have. And it's quite an unhealthy perspective to have. But I'm sure that there are people who have been bullied who had that mentality. Definitely. Um, but I couldn't see myself living past 16 at that point. Oh so gosh. I didn't really plan for life ahead of that. Um, In terms yeah. of, you know, getting to the point where you're seriously considering self-harm or ending your life, mm. <clears throat> you mentioned that... that you tried to take the pills. Were there, was it did that manifest in any other ways? Mm, the yeah. self harming. Sure. So I, I did. <clears throat> I did try and self harm once. Um, I just was too scared to do it and right. inflict that pain on myself. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to because I hated myself so much mm. and I felt like I was hated so much and it was such an an overreaching, constant thing where, like everyone was saying it to me all the time. Mm. Um, but it did manifest itself in other ways. The, the, the main thing, the main other way that it manifested itself was through um, me practicing or 
thinking about hanging myself. Right. And I've got to be really careful about what I say here and how I say it because I want to be um, respectful and I want to not trigger anyone. Mm. So there was a, there was a, in my room, there was like a really strip bulb, like a naked bulb. Mm. And I used to get a chair and I used to stand under the bulb for sometimes days, like sometimes every day, sometimes mm -hmm. different days. Mm -hmm. And I just used to stare into space for sometimes 10 minutes, sometimes an hour, um, and just think about doing it and just think about stepping off. Um, Fred, that's and, such an awful thing to hear, especially yeah. as someone of that age, um, you know. And that, that happened a lot from year nine to year 11. It's so difficult to hear it, let alone even have to imagine what it would be like to have to experience that. It's awful. Yeah. Really is awful. Um, so that, and a lot of people say to me, like how, you know, they talk, I, ask me about suicide and stuff. And I say, well, and we'll talk about this a bit later. Mm. Um, and I definitely tried once, but I came close so many times and it's really hard to mm -hmm. describe that. And mm -hmm. it's really hard to say, oh, I, I tried once and I came close to it, like really, really like, and this, this is what happened in year 11 um, when I was cyber bullied, but I came really, really close to it again, once in year 11, but there was other times when I came, when you think about it, I came mm. close hundreds mm. of times, maybe mm. maybe more. Mm. So it's really hard to sort of articulate that to people when I talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that 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 was definitely the hardest. Those three years from 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 year nine to year eleven was definitely the hardest point of my life. Um, and we'll, we'll we'll go on to discuss this. But year eleven was year eleven was probably by far the the hardest the hardest year of my life mm. um, and really it should be you know a, a very joyous time you know you're obviously doing your GCSEs and there's a lot of pressure on you but you're in that last year of school you feel like you're on top of the world you feel like you're the big boys and big mm. girls um, mm. but but I never really um, never really felt like that so Freddie year 11 now secondary school there's the introduction of a new platform um, something that people can become socially connected with, but also can be weaponized. Um, and it really magnifies something that might go on within the classroom walls or within your school year group. Suddenly everyone is connected. Mm -hmm. um, and also um, the escape, you don't really leave school behind anymore mm. when you go home. Mm. Um, and that obviously is social media and the internet and how that has started affecting kids. Um, now for us, that was introduced well into our academic career. Mm -hmm. Now kids are having that from eight, as soon, nine, as, they're in, old, as, soon yeah. as they're in school. Um, and that's definitely an interesting conversation to have. Mm. But what kind of impact, how did, how did your school experience change with this introduction of this of, of this new medium, yeah. So so I got I got Facebook in year ten, and I think I got it a bit reluctantly um, because I just didn't really feel the need for it at that point. Mm -hmm. But I think I was more. I think I, in my mindset, I was more like, oh, year ten, there won't be really embarrassing pictures for me in year seven. Mm -hmm. So that's why I got it in year ten. <laughs> if that makes sense. Right. Looking back, it's quite a, right. quite a weird mindset to have at the time. But um, yeah, so I got it in year 10 and people started adding me and stuff and all that sort of stuff. And obviously technology wasn't advanced enough yet 
where we had Facebook on our phones. Mm. So it was very much like you go home, you go on the you go on your your um, family computer right, onto uh, with the washing basket next yeah. next to it um, as the second chair, um, <laughs> and I just used to go on it for that Facebook for that you know five o'clock right. or whatever six o'clock seven o'clock you go right. chat on MSN all that sort of stuff, uh-huh. um, and it wasn't a massive problem actually until. Uh, six seven months into when I got it so sometimes people in my social group would like tag me in statuses and like start like picking on me and and making disparaging comments about me which didn't affect me massively but Mm. obviously still affects you but the worst point was when I it, it was I came back from a family holiday so it was either in the so I'm thinking at, chronologically, it's probably the start of year 11. Mm-hmm. And I came back and I went on my Facebook and it was like 20, like 30 notifications. And normally my notifications are from people saying, I have liked this page. Like you've got tank, you've got Fanta, but are you going to tango or something right, like that? Or some right, like stupid, right, like right. parody pages that we used to those. all like yep. horrific, like those horrifically embarrassing ones, but were funny at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one said, someone in X person who was in my social group, who I kind of thought was not as bad as the other people in my group, mm. has created this Facebook group. I was going, this is funny. Maybe it's like a birthday. Because, mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, I, I hadn't seen the name. And he said, and it said, had invite, uh, has invited you to this group, mm. has created the group, and then invited to the group, and then it was like comment on the group. Da 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 da. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is weird. So I clicked on it, and it was a Facebook group about me or Facebook page, I should right, say. I can't right. remember which one it was, but it was an open group. Right. And um, it was a picture of me, a really embarrassing picture of me at a 16th, sweet 16th um, birthday party. Mm. And the caption, I, I don't really want to say the caption because um, it will seem like it was less of a big deal than it was, mm-hmm. but it was basically trying to compliment me or something like that. And... I remember going on the comments and it was just all my worst fears about the paranoia that I'd had about what people thought about me and wh- what I thought people thought about me but couldn't say to my face uh-huh. all in this group. In writing. S- in writing. Yeah. So it was, you know, you know me, I love to do impressions and voices mm-hmm. and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I was doing that from an early age mm-hmm. and there was people going, yeah, his fucking impressions are shit. No one likes him. He's just like, he's so, he's so annoying. Like, why do we invite him to like groups and stuff? Like, why do we, why do we include him in this stuff? Like, mm-hmm. da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. And it was the whole year group who had been invited. And I remember just getting this massive, 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 like, like when the feeling that you get when you lose your, you think you've lost your phone. Right. Just like your heart goes into your stomach, out your butt. Mm. And it was just the worst anxiety attack. One of the worst anxiety attacks I've ever had. Mm. And to this day, that is a a trigger sometimes if I see like, someone has tagged you in a photo on Facebook. I still get that pang of anxiety. What someone tagged me in? Do I need to remove the the tag? Do I need to to message them and say, can you take this down? Mm -hmm. All that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And shortly after that, I believe I came really close to taking my own life again. Mm I had, I wasn't just standing on the chair. There was other things involved in it, as Mm -hmm. you can imagine. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was about, to do it 
And for some reason, something stopped me. And I don't know what it was at the time. Um, looking back, I feel like it was like the last shred of my self-worth or the mm. last shred of my self-esteem telling me not to do it. Mm. And that was the point when I thought, I'm never going to let anyone, if I can, if I can, I don't want anyone to ever feel like this ever again because mm. it wasn't that I wanted to die. It was that I didn't want to live. Mm. And I, the world was too painful for me to live in and I couldn't deal with the constant suffering, the constant pain, the the constant battle that I had to endure every day, the cold shoulders in the social group, chucking stuff like people used to, <coughs> Excuse me. Um, they used to chuck food at me. They used to just, just, just be the most horribly abusive group. Mm. And being in that environment every day, I just couldn't do it anymore. Mm. Um, and the the first suicide attempt was probably when I thought I felt the lowest. Mm. But this one was just a whole, just a whole different level. Um, I didn't really feel like a human anymore. Mm. I didn't really feel like I had anything to give to the world. Mm. I didn't really feel like I was capable of being loved or or loving um, or being capable of having friends because I didn't really feel like I had any friends. Um, in school, I had, you know, two, two of my best mates still to this day, James and Hannah, who... Um, James was uh, James was outside of school. Obviously, uh, he went to a different school to me, and and Hannah was in my school, but she was like one of the most popular girls. Mm. Um, she couldn't look after me all the time. She had mm. a different social group, mm. um, so I didn't really have, feel like I had anything to give, um, just at all. Mm. And I felt like a completely broken human being. Um, I didn't really feel like I had anything left, and. I couldn't see a future for myself. I couldn't see living past 16. I couldn't see having a job. I couldn't see having any form of life experience. Um, and that was, that was probably the worst. That was probably the worst I've, I've, I've ever felt, mm. um, in that moment. Mm. Um, and I just couldn't see a light at the end of the tunnel, unfortunately. Mm. Well, Freddie, I'm sure that listeners will agree that that's pretty heavy and and horrible to hear um, and horrible to have to think that someone has to, that people are experiencing that, you know. Mm. Um, yeah, it's truly awful, really. But you said to me that as low as that experience was, that that was the kind of genesis for you developing this altruistic trait to help others and to make sure that no one felt like that again. Mm -hmm. um, anyone that you know or don't know, you know, to have to feel like that. Mm. Um, and that obviously was... That's the reason I started Vent. Why you yeah. started Vent yeah. and, 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 and why you're doing what you're doing now. But at the time, whilst the cyberbullying was going on, you're still in that year 11, Freddie Cocker, Mm. school environment was there any 
place in within the school that you felt that you could escape or you could draw kind of positive energy from? And if so, where was that for you? Not really, to be honest. I mean, um, at, at lunchtime, um, my social group used to do this thing where all the time they would come up behind me, someone would push me over, mm. someone would be like knelt down behind me and I would just fall over and they would mm. do that to me all the time. Mm. Or they would... I'd be standing there, minding my own business, just like talking to people, and they just shout, just, just like rush, like rush, Freddy, da, da 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 da, and they'd all just punch me, like just, 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 and it's really hard to describe this violence without mm. making mm. it seem as if it was like, it was casual to them. Mm. It's true. It wasn't putting me on them. the floor and literally kicking me in the right, head and right, all that right, sort of stuff. Right. But it was just punching me like all over. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, someone would do it really hard and proper try and give me it's a dead constant arm. Abuse. Yeah, constant abuse. So, and you didn't, you had, you, you didn't have anywhere to escape. You didn't have... Yeah. So, no, sorry. So, um, there were times when I was like, I can't be bothered to sit at the benches today. I can't be bothered to have, get this abuse. So I'd go to play football and there was a, there was a, an adjacent playground um, mm -hmm. we used to call the sports cage where mm -hmm. everyone would play football. And I'd just go and play football. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I wouldn't get the same level of abuse obviously there was people that I didn't like who I played football with but it was mm -hmm. more like and I tried to escape from it and then remember and sometimes it would work mm -hmm. and then one day I remember they just thought they, they ran over to me from the, the other playground so bear in mind this is like 100 metres away mm -hmm. maybe more and they all ran over to me and tried to rush me there and mm -hmm. I was like just fuck off like what are you mm -hmm. doing just mm -hmm. like I'm just playing football mm -hmm. but it was like they deliberately wanted to, me to know that they had that, control, that, that they presence and there. that control over yeah, me yeah, yeah. And, and all of that and I just thought this was so, I just thought at the time, I was just like, this is so unnecessary. Yeah. Like, why are you doing this to yeah. me? Yeah, um, for sure. But they just thought it was funny. And, you know, they were a very homophobic social group. Um, they used to say all the time, like, it, it's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve and all this mm -hmm. stuff. And, you know me, like, I'm quite a sort of right on sort of mm -hmm. geezer. And mm -hmm. I would always try and fight back against that. Mm -hmm. And they would be like, oh, you're gay, Freddie, because you, you, you believe in, like, gay rights and all this mm -hmm. sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And... They were very Islamophobic as well. You know, they used to say the P word quite a lot. Mm. Um, and, or some of them did anyway, I mm -hmm. should say. Not all of them. Mm. Um, but yeah, when you're in that group, it's just a very toxic group. And right. you don't really feel like you can even articulate your own views because they're fairly normal views, but mm -hmm. they're not theirs. Mm. So I didn't really feel like I had any escape, to be honest. Um, and when you obviously when you're cyber bullied as well, you don't like three pm stops being your escape. You know, it's 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 constant. It's always there. Mm. Mm. So Freddie, you mentioned how your pastimes, your school life, and how your hobbies now are starting to get infected by this same kind of abusive. Culture, really. Culture yeah. that is surrounding just your entire life experience at this moment. And so when you are outside of your school life, you had other kind of hobbies, spoken about football already, but mm. you decided to take part in a drama school, a local mm -hmm. drama school, dra mm -hmm. drama centre. Mm -hmm. Now, most people would expect that as a place where, you know, you'd be free to express yourself. Maybe the kids who that are at drama school are... are are extrovert you know and you'd expect them to be almost more accepting because of the because it's an art and mm -hmm. you would assume that but that kind of insidious kind of culture followed you 
it did into the into the drama school as well. Yeah, it did. I, I should give some background um, that I have always, well, up to, the, up to that point, I'd always loved drama. Mm. I'd always loved performing. You mm. know, um, I was in primary school. I was the lead in all my school plays. You uh-huh. know, one of them was like they were like bed, like you know, they were like kids stories. So uh-huh. like one of them was like the Rainbow Fish or something like that. And um, you know, Bugsy Malone. I was Bugsy Malone in my my year school, my year yeah. six leavers play. Um, so I always loved performing, and for me, the stage was always an escape. It mm. was a safe haven. It was a utopia. It was a place where I could um, be myself, but not be myself. Correct. If that, make, if that makes sense. For sure. Hundred um, percent. Because I was playing other people, but I felt like I could truly express myself in the best way I could and I got that that endorphin rush from coming off stage I got yeah. the endorphin rush from being on stage um and I was I, I think I must have been the only child when I was doing drama where the teacher or the the, the drama teacher didn't never had to say don't trail off at the end of your lines yeah. because <laughs> I, I always used to deliver them loudly <laughs> like everyone else used to deliver a line and they used to go I believe that duh, 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 and they'd always like tra- like your kids right, like you right. trail off but I used to just always deliver the lines so uh-huh. they never ever gave me that um, <laughs> that direction um, which I swiftly realised was because I was so loud um, so yeah that was really fun so um, it began as a positive experience yeah oh 100% it always began it as a positive it was an escapism yeah, yeah. Felt, okay um, so I joined um, this this drama centre in um, I reckon very early maybe year seven maybe year eight I can't remember when I started um, but I was in this younger group and I had these two amazing drama teachers um, who were uh, uh, brilliant and you know they might not have given me you know a massive amount of attention because there was like 30 kids in the class right, you, know? right. you can't give everyone as, as equal much attention but I just enjoy being in the group and although I didn't really make too many friends there, there's a couple that I'm still mm, friends mm. with um, boys and girls um, I never really felt like I made any like close friends, right? But I just enjoyed being there. I just enjoyed chatting to people and, and acting and and being in an environment where everyone was on the same page. Mm-hmm. And I got to year ten, I think it was, and they said, "Oh, if you want to, you know, you can join the older group a year early." Mm. And that was for people who, you know, largely year eleven, year twelve, year thirteen, so sixteen to eighteen year olds but you could join a year early. And I said, yeah, you know, I'll, 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 I'll do that. I'll join the older group. Mm-hmm. And we did the first production. This is, I'm trying to remember this the right in the chronological order. And I think it went fine. You know, I didn't really get on with loads of people in the group, but there was a, you know, I still found it a safe haven. I still kind of went there. I still enjoyed it, you know, practice on a Monday and a Wednesday um, and rehearsals and doing all of that sort of stuff. And I'd see some people from there outside of school and you'd have a chat with them mm, and whatever. Mm. And it was fine. I wasn't good friends with them, but it was all good. And then it got to year 11 and we had this production and we were we were touring it. So it was, you know, it was quite mm. professional as, mm. as they come for that sort of age group. Mm-hmm. And we went to this school in Bolton and we performed it there. We stayed overnight um, and I, you know, went into my room and I just like after everyone sort of like went back to their rooms I just slept in my room loads of people I think were like doing underage drinking and partying I wasn't mm-hmm. invited but mm-hmm. I, I didn't really feel that much FOMO from it uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, I don't think anyone's th- like I think people were like doubling up but I don't think people someone doubled up me I can't remember now um, but I, I didn't really get too much FOMO from it you know uh-huh. you know people do what they do and I was fine with it you know that's fine um, but then we were on the way back and we were at this, I think we were at this like petrol station. I think we'd all stopped. It was a big coach and we'd all stopped to get like, you know, Burger King, Mackey mm, D's, mm. whatever, whatever you want. 
And I remember going into the shop with someone from the group and we were looking at all the sweets and chocolate and stuff. And I remember getting a dairy milk, I remember getting like some crisps and we were going through the, the sweet aisle and I said to him, oh, this, I was like, this pack of Haribo's a bit expensive. It's like £2.30 or £2.19 or something. It was something like that, that, that sort of, that price. I just said it really nonchalantly, like, uh, you know what I mean? Like, I'm quite, a bit, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm good with my money and all that sort of stuff. I was like, it's a bit expensive. And for some reason, he thought like that was the most hilarious thing in the world. He thought like it was really funny and he like told all the group. And um, what happened afterwards was that they all started making Facebook statuses about like 219 Mm -hmm. And just saying, like saying, like using puns for it, saying, using jokes for it, calling me it on the way back, like being quite abusive about it. And you know me, like someone gets a joke about you, you take it. I tried to take it my stride. Mm -hmm. I tried to like be a bit haha, -ha, you know, mm -hmm. whatever, um, bit self-deprecating and all that sort of stuff. But then it, it just carried on and it just kept getting worse and they were just doing it to sort of exclude me from the group. And then mm. the drama teacher would join in, mm. like actually join in this time, not like other teachers where they would like, you know, abet it. He would actually join in, in, mm. in the abuse. Mm. Um, and like, it just, it just broke me. And it broke my love at the time for acting. It broke my love for drama. Um, it broke, it changed the way I perceived a lot of people in that group, who some of them I still know now, mm. because I saw them as sheep. I saw them as people that would not back you up. Mm. I saw them as people who would- Complicit. Complicit, and completely complicit. And people who I saw their behavior change towards me for no obvious reason that I had done to them. I hadn't wronged them. I hadn't said something really mm. bad to them, mm. but they just joined in and it was, I think it, at the time that had happened after the other cyberbullying story. Mm. So already I was suicidal. Mm. Already I was feeling like the world was was not right for me and I, it, mm. I didn't have a place in the world. So the bullying didn't just end at 3 p.m. at the school gates. I was going after school and I was getting bullied. Right. It was so like, I was like, it was in your school yeah, life, yeah, it was it, in your personal life. Yeah, and I just felt like it never, times. yeah, I just felt like it never ever stopped. You had no let up. And a lot of the time when I was in school, I felt like people told me and from people, figures of authority that being bullied was my fault. Mm -hmm. It was something that was wrong with me. I was annoying. That right. was annoying was the word that people used to use about me a lot. Um, people hated me, all this sort of stuff. Mm. And when you feel like being, when you feel like the reason for your pain is yourself, mm -hmm. it's the hardest thing to get out of that mindset. Mm. And it's the most painful, um, mindset that you can have to your own mental health and because I was getting bullied at drama school and in school I felt like even more so that it was my fault like it was like I was the reason why I was experiencing this pain mm. that it was a problem with me mm. rather than the environments themselves mm. and after being I, I, I basically stopped going mm. um, and I just used an excuse that they one of them texted me saying um one of the people from the group saying, oh, are you coming back? Like the teacher will like give your role away um, in this new production if if you're not coming back. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm just going to concentrate on my GCSEs and get and revise. And, and to be honest, that was half true because I didn't right. need to concentrate on my GCSEs and get out of the school that I was in, mm -hmm. which was a, which was basically a ghetto. Um, but also it was because I hated it and mm -hmm. because I wanted to leave. And I remember this, um, 
this really this great message that I got from a friend who's still a friend with me now um, called Josh Hill and I'll give him a little shout out on the pod. Um, he's been a family friend for years and years and years and he he went to that that drama centre. Mm. And he was, a, he was a bit older. He was one of the older people. They, he didn't take part in it. He didn't abuse me. He was one of the only people I could just chat to mm-hmm. normally because he was friends with, with my brother, my mm-hmm. older brother, um, who he went to school with. And he just messaged me saying like, Fred, um, I'm really, really sorry about everything that you had to experience in that school. Mm-hmm. They, were, they were all dickheads. I've left. Like he had said like he was going to leave like shortly afterwards. They're all a bunch of pretentious mugs. Like don't think it's your fault you did the right thing by leaving. I'm mm. really sorry that it happened to you. Mm. And that was one of the best messages I've, I've ever received by anyone mm. because it just made me feel like, yeah, it wasn't my fault. Mm. And even though I still did think it was at the time, mm-hmm. it just gave me that bit of bit of relief. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, ironically, out of all the people from that drama group, Josh has probably gone on to bigger, like the, the best right. things from it. You know, he's in feature films right, now. He's right. just been in a play that I went to see um, with Andrew Scott from Fleabag, uh-huh, you know, on the uh-huh, West End. Uh-huh. So he's done the most well out of any, anyone mm-hmm. and they all thought they were going to go on and do, you know, big act, big roles and all thought they were above themselves. Mm. Um, so to get that message from him at the time was just one of the best messages I could have received. Mm. And But that whole experience just, it almost gave me PTSD for drama, if right, that makes sense. Right. Like I have PTSD now, but it was from the sexual assault. Um, and that PTSD from drama carried on until probably about maybe like last year, two years ago, mm, mm. when I finally could could go to see plays without thinking about that experience. I, right. could, I could enjoy plays again. I could, um, you know, just 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 get more involved in that scene basically yeah. and, and go see amateur plays yeah. and talk to people about it. Yeah. But before that, I couldn't because every time I thought about it, I thought about that phrase, that 219 phrase and, yeah. and it just became a, a really... Re- suppressed and repressed memory for I me. think it was that's really something horrible. that might be maybe you know naively for me to say as well but that listeners might take away from that as well is that these events however small they might seem at the time can have these long overarching overreaching years even mm. after the experience you know for you to say that really you got over that a, 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 up to about a year ago now is yeah so it's about you know that is eight, that's seven, a six, really seven, long six, time years, yeah. yeah so yeah. these events I mean and this is constant throughout everything that we've discussed you know you carry that with you mm. you know you're scarred by it, it might not be a physical scar but mm. you're scarred in the same way you know and, yeah, and, 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 it, and you need to get over those injuries it gave me paranoia talking to people from that group as well mm. after I left mm-hmm. and when they left because I felt like are they going to bring it up Right. Are they going to bring it up around other people? Right. Am I going to have to explain this story to other people? Right, um, right. And some people did, and I just ignored what they said. Um, and it it changes your relationship with those people. Mm. For and as much as you can get back to a decent place, you know, because people move on and, and mm. you grow and you mm. change, that never leaves you. You don't forget that. Mm. You don't forget that experience, despite however much that person might change. And it was. And again, you know, coming back to the siege mentality experience yeah. and that's what developed and that's what it, it, it carried into and it's really it's really sad I find it really sad that I can sometimes I walk past people from that group and they might have I might know that they've got kind of like you know not the greatest jobs or they might have let themselves mm-hmm. go a bit physically and in my head that little 13 year old boy that little uh, 40 year old boy goes you won this. Yeah. you yeah. won in the end Fred 
Yeah. And it, I don't want to feel like that. And I don't want to have that voice in my head saying, no, nah, mm. you won in the end. Mm. They might have hurt you then, but mm. you won now. Mm. I don't want it. To, I don't want that to, to have it in my head because it's an unhealthy, it's an unhealthy mentality to have, but mm. sometimes mm. it just pops in there and mm. I've just got to mm. kind of check yourself. get it, check yeah. myself, kind of have a bit of a, maybe an unhealthily good feeling about it and then, <laughs> and then let it go. Fred, you <laughs> secretly enjoy it. Is it a little bit? You mean, you, you, yeah, you can't of course. help yourself. Yeah, you because that comes to the, to the justice kind mm. of point, which mm. I want to discuss at the end, mm. uh, at the end really. Um, but as we get to the kind of end of this middle portion of your, of your kind of adolescent life, mm. I just want to take a moment at this point to look back at these characters through the whole of secondary school. Um, I mean, primary school, because they're so young, you know, you don't know how they've changed as a person now, but mm -hmm. in secondary school, you know, you're really kind of building the foundations of who you are as a person you're going to be, mm -hmm. arguably. So in saying that, from where you are now, how do you view those particularly insidious characters throughout the, the secondary school experience now? Do you look back at them and do you, do you pity them? Do you, from your own experience, have, a, you know, a more of a, you know, third person view where you can say these people might have been suffering from this, this and this? Or mm. do you feel like the pain is, you, you know, they've served you so much pain that mm. they deserve no sympathy at all? you have no sympathy or empathy for their position and you mm. think that actually these were such horrible acts and I felt so so horrible that you don't have you don't even want to give them the mm. time it's a really good question and I feel like I've gone a bit on a bit of a journey with all those things that you yeah, said yeah for sure um, I think at the start I had so much I had so much anger about it yeah um, and I'm not an angry person at all no, like, I'm not, no. I wouldn't show it externally but I had so much anger at the world for doing this to me and hate, angry, and hate. hate yeah them? I hated them yeah I hated them with a real burning passion mm -hmm. because of the pain that they had inflicted mm -hmm. on me because I felt like those people less so much the people in drama school but more the people in secondary school and in my social group um it felt like they were pushing me to die yeah and it felt like that year group wanted me to die. Mm. And I felt like if I had, there would have been like, you know, you can only speculate, but I felt like if, if I had done it, there would have been all these fake statuses about how I was loved and all this shit. And, but really, I think it had all just been a load of bollocks and it had all been fake. Right, right. Um, so I hate was, was definitely the start. I think as I've got older, with some of those people it is now pity right it because some of them were psychologically troubled right some of them probably don't have a lot going on in their lives right now mm. um so i do feel pity for them i do mm. feel sorry for them but for some there's not anger mm. but there is that there is that lack of there is that lack of sympathy towards mm, them. Mm. Maybe empathy is there, mm. but there is no sympathy towards mm, them. Mm. There is no feeling like I should be going, I should be bending over backwards to forgive them right, for right, what they right. did. I can forgive them in my own head mm -hmm. because I've moved on from it and mm -hmm. I can, I can, 
you know, I've used those experiences to and turn them into a positive. Yeah, and I've got closure on yeah. those experiences, but I'll never forget what they did. No. And I'll give you a couple of examples just quickly about how when I've come out of that environment, mm. I've encountered people from school mm. and it's like they've gone back into that environment. Right. And I, there must be some sort of psychological explanation for this mm. about when you see people from an old environment, you they go back into the behaviour from the that aggress- environment. Yeah, yeah. So I was in South River George um, and I was just, I went to actually see an old, it was an old work do. Mm. It was Barracudas, I used to work for summer camp, so shout yeah. out all the Barracudas people, Kez, Nikhil, um, Big Phil, I'll shout out a couple of people. Um, <laughs> And and Gita, big supporter event, by the way. Um, oh. And I remember going into Silver George and I was just having a chat with them, just having a little few, few drinks. And they mm-hmm. said, come along. I was like, no, not the road. Mm-hmm. And I was standing there outside and this I saw this girl from school. Mm. And I was like, she, was, she wasn't a bully, but she was quite horrible to me. Mm. And she, she saw me and I didn't, I was like, okay, I'm not going to talk to her because... You know, I, I'll leave her, have, I'll, I'll let her have a good night. I don't want to get into a thing. And she saw me. She'd probably had a few to drink, I'm guessing. She went, oh, hi, Freddie, Freddie. I was like, oh, hi, X, how are you? Good to see you, you know, being very civil. And um, she was saying, oh, how is everything? You know, how's life? And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm at this job, da, 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 da. And her friend came over to me. And as she introduced my friend, uh, her friend, sorry, she said, um, just like really flippantly, oh, everyone hates Freddie in school. And it really took me back. And I'm really glad that I only had had like two pints by this point. Right. And I was kind of a bit in, I was kind of a bit dumbfounded. And I didn't say anything at the time. I said, oh, hi, friend of person. Nice to meet you. And she said, oh, I'll see you in a bit. We're going to Slug and Let's or something like that. Mm-mm. And she started... And we, we kind of got into the conversation again. And I said, she said something along, you know, she said, oh, um, we started, we kind of got into the conversation of how we were at school and our relationship and stuff. And I said, yeah, Molly, you were a, you know, I I, swore, I said you were an ex at her. So you were an ex to me. Mm-hmm. Like, you were horrible to me. You were this. Mm. And I had no bones about saying it to her after that. Mm. And... She started getting a bit upset and she said, like, I'm really sorry about this, da, 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 da. But it was really bad because, you know, you know me, I'm the most, I try and be the most empathetic, supportive, kind mm. person mm. as I can be. Mm. But when I heard that, I didn't care. Didn't mm. care about her anymore. Didn't mm. care about her feelings. Mm. And I said that to her because I felt, you've come over to me. Mm. You've probably had good intentions on mm. this night, but you've made me feel like utter shit and you've, You've made me think that all of those things back in school were justified. Mm, mm. That that all those things were true. Mm. And you've took me back to that mindset. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't care. And I said it to her, and I was probably quite harsh to her, mm. um, but I didn't care. And there was another example actually as well. Um, so I was at one of my favorite bands in like ever, it's a band called Yumi at Six. Mm-hmm. And I've been seeing, I went to, I've been seeing like 14 times and I've been to see them countless times since I was like 15 years old. And I've made lifelong friends, Rachel, Charlie, Dan, if you're listening. Um, and I went with these three people to see Yumi at Six for like the 10th or 11th time at um, Alexandra Palace. And I was there, I was dancing, them, having a really good time. Mm. And this other girl I saw from school, 
And she was really nice to me, actually. She's mm. one of the few people that was nice to me. Mm. She came over to me. She said, oh, Freddie, oh, it's great to see you. Um, we were chatting, we were chatting. It was nice. And then she introduced her boyfriend. And then she said again, flippantly, everyone hated Freddie in school. Uh-huh. But I didn't see, like, why there was a reason for her to say that. Right. And at the time, I just thought, I saw That's when, all the context she's giving for your entire character, yeah. basically, in that moment yeah. of introduction. And her boyfriend seemed very nice. He seemed yeah. very un un unassuming. And... As a jolt, like a uh, like a like a reaction to it, I just went, oh, but most of them are doing aren't doing much with their lives now. I was like, I was like, it was like a backs against the mm, wall reaction, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and um, I just didn't know why she said it, mm. and I couldn't understand how, if you're a, a, a kind person and you are a good person, why you would you would revert to that and say it in that moment. Mm to someone who clearly, even if you didn't think, even if you didn't know the ex full extent of what they'd gone through, had, le had at least gone known that they'd gone through pain. Mm. Um, so that was really jarring to take. Um, that was really hard. Um, but yeah, it was just those sort of experiences. I, I, I do pity that both those two people. Mm -hmm. And I think for the most part, going back to your question, I think largely it is pity now, which is good. Mm. But there are still probably some remnants of, of anger probably still in there somewhere. Yeah. There's still some resentment towards yeah. them. Yeah. But I think as time, you know, the old saying goes that, that, that time heals. Mm. And I think it's a, sometimes it, it frustrates me a bit when I hear that because sometimes it can be a bit of a banal platitude, but it does, it is true in a lot of cases. Mm. And I think the longer it goes on, the more sympathy I have for these people in mm. some cases. Um, but it, for a few of them, I don't think that, that not burning resentment, but that, that anger at what they did, I don't think that will, that will go um, anytime soon, unfortunately. Mm. Mm. Understandably, I'm sure. Though saying that, towards the end of the, or throughout actually, the secondary school experience, there were positive places mm. in your life. Um, and one of those um, where you felt that you really belonged was Wanstead Cricket Club. Mm. Can you tell me a little bit about how you introduced to Wanstead Cricket Club, the social circle that you found yourself in there and why that became, you know, a safe place mm. for you to be? So I think I joined One Security Club in when I was about 11 years old and James, my best mate James, um, I think his mum said to my mum, like, I think it'd be good if they both go and sign up for the year, for the summer. Mm -hmm. So I went along and you get put in a group when you're that age of all the people from your age group um, that, that want to play and then you get put in a team. <clears throat> and straight away, I felt like I was in a group that belonged and it wasn't just people being kind to me out of sympathy mm. or I was being paranoid that people were being kind to me for, because they felt sorry for me. It was, they were gen they genuinely wanted me to be in the group and they genuinely, you know, enjoyed my presence and they genuinely enjoyed me larking about and being sort of half decent slash below average at cricket. Mm. Um, and the boys in my group, so there was me, James, um, Will, Patrick, um, our captain Barney, who had a really big impact on me. Um, and 
a few other lads, Jay, James, uh, a guy called another guy called James, um, and loads of other people that I'll, I'll get to. Spike, Will, our friend Will Wade, friend mm. of the pods, um, who was in the low in the lower year. Um, Harry, Ollie, loads of really good guys, mm. um, and we were sort of year one year age difference isn't really too much. So we no. were sort of in the in the same group a lot of the time, right. and I just felt like I could just be myself. You know, Barney, my captain, had a really big impact on me because he would. Trust me, he we we be in games and he'd say he'd give me the ball first, like second change of an over, and he'd say Fred, get me a wicket, and he just he would say it so nonchalantly, mm-hmm. and loads mm-hmm. of other people before that had either like not put me in teams or just discarded me, and that was a that had a really profound impact on me, and mm-hmm. and then other examples, so um, friend of the pod Dan Little Dyke was just always like just larking about with me and and, and taking the piss, and um, I remember like there was a really funny story about how I for some reason in a game decided to stop a cricket ball with my foot instead of my hands smashed me on the shin everyone called me shinny but it was like a funny thing I didn't feel it like was them like bullying me it was like just a really funny thing I I got a lot I I larked about I joined in Uh things like that really I really have great memories from and just going to games on a Sunday, some of the boys turning up, I won't mention who, um, turning up hungover from the night before, right, underage right. drinking, all this sort of stuff. Just really funny stories um, from it. Um, and there's people who I don't see as much now. Um, I've got a guy called Alex who who, who plays in, who used to play in the team. I see him every now and then, but I always have those memories from that team that mm. we can kind of go back to and mm. we, can, we can laugh about with. Um, so yeah, and and the coaches were all really brilliant with me. Um, Adnan and Arfan, who were sort of the head coaches there, um, Len, Trevor, um, they all had a really great impact on me. I always, I never felt left out. Mm-hmm. I never felt like I was sort of tagging along in the group. I was always involved. I was bowling. I was batting very mm-hmm. badly, I should say, but um, I was batting <laughs> nonetheless. Um, but yeah, it just felt it was just a really pure time, and it just felt like on a Friday go to training with James, um, come back, get fish and chips from the lighthouse in Wanstead. It was stable. It was stable. It was, was going to be that was, experience every It was time. homely. It was I'd safe. stay around, ja- yeah, I'd stay around James's the, that night. He'd always force me to, if he's listening, like he'd always force me to watch fucking Formula One on a Saturday morning. It was like the Australian Grand Prix. It was like seven o'clock. I was like, right. James, can I sleep? And he was like, Fred, nice. No, it's, it's the Melbourne Grand Prix, mate. We've got to watch it. We've got to watch it. <laughs> it, was, oh, it was so long. Um, but just stuff like that. It's just funny stories like right, that. And, right. and, and just things that just made me feel so good about myself mm. at a time when I felt so horrible about mm, myself and mm. I hated myself. And that led all the way up from seven to year 11 yeah yeah so yeah. Year, year 11 was when i stopped playing um once it was far too good a club for me to be able to get in the adults team right the person that, the only person that really got in was was barney and he got into the thirds um and um when me and james ended up ended up coaching as uh-huh. well volu- voluntary uh-huh. um for two years when we were in sixth form and that was a good respite as well just yeah that the pressures of a levels as well. yeah we were teaching like five-year-old six-year-old kids uh-huh. and we were 17 mm-hmm. so then sometimes i'm walking around south woodford now and i'm seeing those kids right. when they're like 18 now and it's really jarring right. um, but, but you careful that because then suddenly you were in a position of authority were you careful yeah. that you treated them with the knowledge of what you'd experienced of i mean i definitely tried to yeah, i mean obviously sure. I was only a 17 year old kid teaching yeah. 10, 11 year olds, yeah. seven year olds, whatever. Um, but sometimes we get like conflict and I'd always try and 
make sure that I was I was there for that person who yeah, was who exactly. was being picked on. Right. I say to them like, I've got your back. You I believe in you. Signals. I believe your story. I know how hard this is for you. For sure. And and that was the case at probably more the case when I worked at Barracudas actually. Right. Because you were dealing with real life issues all the time. You know, yeah. I was a multi activity instructor, which meant um, I, I taught um, quad biking, archery, and um, trampolining. Uh -huh. But if you if you couldn't do those activities, if it was raining or something, you'd stay with the group. Right, right. And sometimes there would be issues where you'd have to deal with fights. Yeah, you'd have to deal sure. with someone being bullied. And what I always try to do is I'd take the, the person who was being bullied or who had been in a fight aside whenever it happened, and I'd say, look, I understand how hard this is for you. I've been there. I believe you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to make right. sure these kids don't do this to you again. I'm going to make sure that we get like they are, you know, not seen to, but they are reported. Mm. And and I always tried to make sure that I was seen as a positive figure of authority because that kid's probably not going to remember me in right. in four in even six months time because it's right, just right. at a summer camp. But right. if they've had a really bad experience at a summer camp, that can that can that could scar them for life. Yeah. So I just felt like if I could make sure that a memory from it was that they felt like they were backed up, mm -hmm. they were supported their story was believed mm -hmm. um, and they felt that they had as much support as possible from mm -hmm. the people above them mm -hmm. who were, had a duty of care for them, mm -hmm. then that's the least I could do. So this brings us nicely to the end of your secondary school kind of uh, academic career. And at this point, how old are you? 16 years old? Yeah, 16 years old. Yeah. And so 16-year-old Freddie, how have you changed? How is Freddie Cocker different at 16 checking out of secondary school from Freddie at coming into secondary school at year seven. And how did you look, how did you view what was going to happen next in your life? Was it, you obviously, I know that you were looking to go to university. So mm. did you see that as a, as a, another chance to be reborn as, uh, you know, or sure. uh, yeah, where I, was you at that point? I, so pre GCSE results, I was a completely broken person. Right. I didn't have any hope. I was right. just praying that I got good enough GCSE results to get out of school mm -hmm. because it very much felt like I was leaving prison or or, or a ghetto escaped. or the hood or, yeah, or whatever you want to call time. it. Yeah, I'd served yeah. my time, and I applied to about four or five different schools in the area. Got into all of them. Wanted being one of them, but. Um, I went to do a interview at Ilford County High and they really liked me. I needed to get 10, um, a, I think I needed to get, yeah, 10, I need to get 10 A star to C's. Mm. So I couldn't get a D basically, or if I could, if I didn't get a D, I had to get better grades and other things. So I got five A's, three B's and two C's. So I got the grades that I needed to, to get into Ilford County and my mum just said, like you're going to this school because mm. it's had such a good reputation. Mm -hmm. And looking back, that was probably one of the best decisions that could have been made because the minute I got into that school, A, I, was, I felt like I could be reborn a little bit, mm. but you've still got that apprehension. You know, it's a group of 100 odd, maybe 120 odd boys, um, different culture. You know, mm. I was, a, I was a, 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 a white boy in a largely South Asian school. So there's obviously a, there's a, there's a, there's a cultural factor to, to overcome there, mm -hmm. depending on how sort of enlightened you are. Um, mm -hmm. Luckily for me, it was fine because I loved getting to meet people mm -hmm. from different cultures and backgrounds. Mm -hmm. So that was fine. Um, and the biggest shock for me when I came into that school was it didn't happen until right at the end of AS, weirdly mm -hmm. enough. And I predicted two, two Ds and two Cs. 
FAS because I think the understanding was that I was coming from a state school and I had only got five A's um, and they thought this is probably the expected grades that he's going to get. I don't know who wrote them, but they were wrong. <laughs> um, and I got three A's and a B. And I came out the English exam for them, for one of the exams. Um, I got, oh, sorry, on results day. And I had only dropped like three marks. And I came out of um, the, the hall where we got them all. And everyone was going, Fred, you fucking smashed that exam. And I was like, well, what do you mean? They were like, you've done sick. You only dropped three marks. And it was so alien to hear people praising me for mm. doing well academically mm -hmm. because that had never been the case in mm. St. Edwards. It was always, you're a boffin, like, you know, people, like mediocrity was praised, or not praised, but like accepted. Mm. If you were deemed to be clever, you were an outcast, mm. all that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, so that, that was sort of like an epiphany moment for me. Like, I was like, rah, I'm in a completely new environment where mm. I can be myself more. Mm -hmm. And the teachers that I had in year 12, you know, um, my teacher, my politics teacher, Mr. Pearson, my history teacher, Mr. Short, who sadly passed away uh, a couple of years ago, I went to his funeral, um, were, and um, my English teachers, Mr. Mills, Mr. Champion, um, they were massive in, for me in sort of restoring not only my, my faith in teachers, but my faith in myself. Mm. and my faith in my ability to do well and my confidence to, you know, speak up in class mm. and contribute and crack a joke. And they never put me down for it. Mm -hmm. They never said, you shouldn't be doing this, Fred, or they, you know, shut up or, or anything like that. They were always just like, we're happy you're contributing. Mm -hmm. We're happy you're fitting in. We're happy you're doing well. We'll help you out whenever we need to. Um, we know how hard it is for you as an external the phrase being because I was new to the school from sixth form um, and just all the boys were just it's just so different mm. so so different in, in every way imaginable um, and I only really got used to it at the end of year 12 a year in mm -hmm. but that was uh, looking back it was such a massive thing for me massive such a massive deal and in many ways I was learning about myself again mm. and when people would say, oh, you support Huddersfield or X and Y, obviously there was a bit of banter involved, but I didn't run away from it. Mm. But before that, anytime someone said, oh, Fred, you support Huddersfield, oh, this is his surname. I get I get anxiety over someone saying my surname. I still mm. do a little bit mm. sometimes, mm. my full name, mm. because I feel like, oh my God, what are they going to say? Mm. Oh my God, like, am I in trouble? Mm. Um, or I've done something wrong mm -hmm. or something bad's about to happen. It's normally like that. It's normally something bad's about to happen. Right, right, right. And when I was in Ilford County, I didn't get that anymore. Mm -hmm. But it took me so long to get out of that PTSD mm -hmm. trigger, that mm -hmm. tick. At that point, are you still... Um, how, at this point of your life and throughout secondary school, was it obvious that you had, that you were dealing with mental health issues and that, like, were these things that you were broadcasting to other people or were these things that were very much kept to yourself at this point? I felt like I had to keep, I, ha I felt like at the time I had to keep it to myself. I felt like if I'd admitted it, I would have been less of a man. Right, I felt right. like if I'd admitted it, I'd have been bullied for it or picked on more. Right. So I had to put on a mask of, not at Ilford County, by the way. No, no. Um, but 
I had to put on this mask of extroversion, right. this happy-go-lucky attitude that everything was fine, uh -huh. that um, I was fine no matter what and people could do this to me and I wouldn't react or uh -huh. I wouldn't um, get upset. Um, and I just, that was the only way I could deal with it because uh -huh. I had to internalize everything. I had to bottle everything up because mm. that was the only way I felt like I had to, I could survive. Mm -hmm. um, but at year 12, you're getting to mm. a point where that's a much more positive experience mm. and that there might be some sort of shred of light at the end of the tunnel yeah. and that actually now you're moving towards bigger and better things. You're finding out a bit more about mm. who you are and, and, and how you're expressing yourself mm. and university is on the horizon and you find yourself heading there full mm. speed. Um, I definitely didn't open up to anyone at that time about my mental health issues because to be honest... I didn't really know I had them. No. Even having discussed all of this, I didn't know I, they were a mental health issue. Mm. I didn't know that what was wrong with me was abnormal, not abnormal because- It's not. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but why would I phrase that? Um, I felt like these were things I had to go through or these were a rite of passage. Trials and yeah, tests. I didn't feel like this was out of the ordinary for a normal- a life experience. For, yeah, a normal yeah. life experience. Yeah. Um, so I didn't tell anyone about it because I didn't feel like I needed to or right. I didn't feel like I could. Mm -hmm. But if I had told a teacher, I think they would have been fine. I think they would have been they would have been compassionate with me. I don't think there was any issue towards that. I just didn't ever feel like I wanted to divulge, divulge that information yet because mm -hmm. really that ex those experiences were still so raw to me. Mm -hmm. I still I had still had all the embarrassment and all the stigma. I didn't want to tell people in my year that I had been beaten up outside of school. Mm, I didn't want to tell mm. people that I tried to commit and um, mm, tried to mm. take my own life mm. because that might have changed you. Uh, for all I knew in my head, that could have changed their opinion of me. That could sure. have changed their perception of me. Would, I had no idea have. how to view it. It would have. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, maybe not with all of them because we were maturing as boys and, but maybe for some of them, you never know. Um, yeah. So, but, I, but I, what I did get was I did start to be like, okay, I can maybe get to university now there's an opportunity here. Mm -hmm. More lights at the end of the tunnel started to emerge. There was still that massive anxiety of what's going to happen if I don't get the grades, that big apprehension of, oh my God, is my life going to be over? I don't get into university, mm -hmm. but at least I could see university. Right. And in sixth form, I started to, you know, have very, not like complicated, but I started to have, you know, more experiences with girls. Mm -hmm. um, I used, in six when I started, you know, being about more house pies and mm -hmm. like getting off of girls and all that sort mm -hmm. of stuff that you mm -hmm. do. Um, but that was still ridiculously new to me. Mm -hmm. I didn't handle that very well. Mm -hmm. I was, I didn't know how to regulate my emotions. Mm -hmm. I had no idea how to regulate any form of emotion outside of mm -hmm. um, being this extroverted, high energy, happy go lucky person. Mm -mm. And it would annoy me when it would also annoy me when people would label me as that. Mm -mm. Because you, I'd be like, you inside of you might not be going, you don't I know am. anything about me. Yeah. You don't know who I am. Yeah. You don't know my story. You don't understand me at all. And I couldn't articulate that either. No. So I would get really um you sort of I'd get prickly and conflicted about yeah. people labelling me. Yeah, and sure. I still get conflicted about people labelling me. Uh -huh. Someone going, Oh, you just love disco and I right, go, right, I love right. so much more, more other yeah, genres right, apart right, from right. You, apart from disco. <laughs> but then I do love it when people say, Oh, Fred loves disco. Yeah. Do you know course. what I mean? It's that weird juxtaposition. So yeah, yeah. Definitely. Well, that takes us heading fast towards university.
thank you for downloading part one of my Just Checking In pod. If you've liked what you've heard, make sure you listen to part two to hear the rest of the story.